I met this six-year-old child with this blank, pale, emotionless face and the blackest eyes, the devil's eyes. Hey, yo, what's going on, friends? It is a very special episode of In Madness Pod. Sean the Butcher here with Vertebrae 33. How's it going? What's going on, Sean? How are you? This this episode has already been cursed by uh, the by Michael Myers, the computer gods, and antivirus software. Uh, I'm happy that we are here. This is episode 19. Officially, we made it to past 18.75. Our past episode, Comic Con, uh, one of my favorite episodes. We won't even have to talk about it today. We'll catch up more on that for episode 19.5 because this is a big one uh thank you for joining us we won't announce it yet i just want to say thank you for everybody interacting on the socials it has been incredible hearing from everybody about any episode we've done reaching into our mail sack oh i made a mail sack sound piece that i wanted to show you but i didn't record it i should it's it's very funny it's you made a sound effect with your voice so i just used you doing it in the background of so i'll (laughs) I'll try to premiere that me doing it now will be my reminder to do it but follow us on the socials at in madness pod on everything facebook twitter instagram threads uh we are also on in gmail that's where our mail sack is we'll shout you out if you have positive enough of an email, uh, but I read the blindly. So even if you're telling us to go F ourselves, I'll probably still read it uh, on the air. So. I'm super excited. If we were to get somebody <laughs> that comes in hot, like yelling Just at bam, us. Bam, 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 yeah, yeah. yeah that, that, that'd be okay. Also would like to, you know, if somebody wants to give us a new name for that, that section, that would be good too. The mail sack. I think yeah. there was a couple, there was a couple of other recommendations and okay. I was like, nah, nah, nah. Mail sack. No. It's mail sack, yeah. but no, yeah. uh, there are worth some other recommendations. I wrote them down somewhere. I think they're in the email, actually. But uh, follow us in Madness Pod on the socials, in madnesspod at gmail.com. We are on YouTube. Make sure you check out the In Madness YouTube and on every single one of the socials. Like, subscribe, comment, whatever you want. Uh, we'll get back to you if we see it. Absolutely. And the In Madness playlist. It is on fire right now, especially mm. after New York Comic Con. I added Party Man from Prince because of the Joker gang. Uh, we added Lost Becomes for Chef Brian, uh, his band from episode, I I forget which one the menu was, 12, 6, who knows? I think it was 12. I think it was uh, episode 12.12468 and a half. Um, and I'll just ask you, do you have the vinyl? The soundtrack for this movie we are about to cover on one of the most special episodes of In yep. Madness Pod. I not only have the vinyl, but I have the box set. So I have all of the vinyl from this entire franchise. We have to post that on, on the yeah. socials. Let's get and, into it. And Let's, wait, I just want to yep, say yep. we get we do ourselves a discredit by saying episode 19. This is like our 156,000th episode. No, it's way more. We should actually count it up and see. I never I never looked to see, but with the point fives, right? We gotta be Oh yeah, we're definitely yeah, they're, they're legit something. episodes, but they're shorter episodes. So it's yeah. like a half an episode, you know? Yeah, we only we only make them pay half price for that episode. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I don't know if I'm ready for this, Sean. Trembling, this is, trembling. We're both we're both dressed for the occasion. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I don't know if you can see. My, yeah, it's clear. Uh, it's yeah. it's there. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. There you go. 
but uh you gotta watch it on youtube the the comic-con episode is not on youtube by the way i just wanted no, to know because we out. don't we we're not a big time podcast so i don't have a, a videographer following me around if you would like to volunteer your services to be the videographer for in madness pod hit us uh, on the socials or in the gmail that i mentioned earlier that would be great but yeah and then i could put it up on youtube but you do have this incredible sign behind you now. If you're on YouTube, if you're listening to your car, I apologize. Go to YouTube and look. But Sean's been setting up his studio space. and It was a gift from my lovely girlfriend. Uh, we painted. I mean, she painted. Uh, I have soundproofing around me now. I have brand new windows. The acoustics are a lot better. There was crap peeling off the walls. Not anymore. Uh, but... Yeah, I'm amazing. happy with my studio. Absolutely. Yeah. We've amazing. teased them long enough. We've teased them long enough. Okay, here what we go. Enough. <laughs> enough. Enough already. Enough small talk. Oh, boy. We're doing John Carpenter's Halloween. <laughs> yeah, they should interject and cut in some, some of the sound right there. I mean, can we? I don't know if we're going to get sued if we do. I'm just going to do it. <laughs> I mean, you're good friends with Sandy King now, right? So... Check us. Check out episode eighteen point seven five, uh, Comic Con episode with Sandy King, wife of John Carpenter. Yeah. So uh, directed and scored by John Carpenter, co-written with uh, his then girlfriend uh, Deborah Hill. Um, a quick. We'll do a qu- listen. I want to say right off the bat, there's a lot you could unpack on this movie. So. That we're not meant to be the end all be all of this. There's books written on this movie. There's plenty of podcasts. There's plenty of documentaries. Uh, this is Sean and I, our chance to talk about how much we love this film and we'll get into gnarly bits and, and stuff, but uh, we will miss things. We're not going to cover every little thing. And if there's something you want to talk about, hit us up and let us know. Um, we can always talk about it in a 0.5 episode. Cause I feel like once we do this episode, it's it lives in our canon, so to speak, and we're going to always refer to it from this point forward. So, um, quick backstory: business partners and producers. So, Erwin Yablons comes up with this idea, and he gets a financier in Mustafa Akkad to make it happen. Akkad goes on as the franchise goes on to be more involved creatively with the with the films, uh, but in the beginning he wasn't um production designer and editor tommy lee wallace we've got the amazing dean cundy as director of photography um and it's funny they say that cundy uh you know he had a tremendous amount of skill for his job as director of photography and cinematographer but uh he also owned his own van that he could pack the equipment in and do what they needed in this movie being shot on such a small budget needed all the help it could get so he had he's super talented uh you know he worked on halloween halloween 2 the fog escape from new york the thing back to the future trilogy roger rabbit jurassic park and many more so dean cundy a lot of the visuals in this and a lot of the really cool scenes that we have kind of go back to him being hand in hand with john carpenter um do you know how much john carpenter got paid for this film sean i i i do not Okay, so he agrees to make this movie after uh, he's done with Assault on Precinct 13, which we should include in our list. Um, He agrees to make it for a sum of $10,000 to write, direct, and score the project. 
but he's got conditions. These conditions would be that he has complete creative control. His name would appear appear above the title, which was huge because at that time after Assault on Precinct 13, how many people like John Carpenter wasn't a household name. Um, And that his then girlfriend, Deborah Hill, would be hired to co-write and produce. So he wanted complete creative control and, and, and his name above the credits. And I know when I first saw this movie or saw the title, you were like John Carpenter's Halloween. You're like, oh, this guy must be like a really big deal, right? Like th- to see his name above the credits, that doesn't happen a lot. Uh, but what a smart uh, business move on his part. Um, we'll get into the cast. Uh, do you have do you have impressions of the cast, Sean? I wanted to ask you. you uh, have, like, I have imitation? I have one. I have a Dr. Loomis. Okay. So it's uh, Donald Pleasance as Dr. Samuel Loomis, Sam Loomis. Um, It's actually in the credits. They don't put doctor in front of his name, Uh, but you know, he's a big time actor at that time. This is his 108th movie or TV role. Okay. And then he's paired with Jamie Lee Curtis making her feature debut. And she's the daughter of the megastars, Tony Curtis and Janet Lee. Janet Lee being, uh, you know, famously in Psycho. So they, we get we get that right there. I'm taking away. Sean's probably got these bits. No, it's good. It's good. Here. So I was I was mentioning before. I have lots of gnarly bits. Before I open my mouth to say any of them, I'm going to ask if you have them first because they're your gnarly bits. But that was I definitely one of them. It was one of my I questions. Love it. Yes. Uh, Nick Castle as the shape, which they listed him in the script as Michael Myers. Everyone kind of knows that. PJ Souls as uh, Linda Vanderclock. I never knew her last name until I looked it up. Totally. Yeah, there it is. Nancy Loomis, which is kind of funny that that's her real last name. And we have a Loomis is Annie Brackett. Um, Charles Cyphers as Sheriff Lee Brackett. Kyle Richards as Lindsay Wallace. And Brian Andrews as Tommy Doyle. So that kind of rounds out the, rounds out the prominent cast. And then just quickly, uh, it's filmed in Southern California in 78 in 20 days. Uh, and the film premiered in October, that October. So it's filmed in May, and then October, it's in the theaters. I think it's the 25th. Sick. Could you imagine? Could you imagine, like, being there for that opening night, how sick that would have been? Right, and I think that the reaction was just obviously overwhelming because it goes on to be, at that time, the highest-grossing independent film of all time. So the the reaction was just a big word of mouth. Although if you if you watch the trailer because it's on the it's on a lot of the Blu-ray sets, they give so much away in that trailer. I think later I might have a list in my notes of like what they give away in the. I'll trailer, post it on the uh, on our socials at in It's Madness insane. Um, so it premieres in October and it grows seventy million, becoming one of the most profitable independent films of all time. And I think it's soon you know later on has been knocked down, but at that time it was. Um, there is a novelization of this movie and we can talk about it. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll talk about the novelization kind of when we get to the end of the second part of this, I'll, I'll leave it for, I'll leave it for that. Um, and we could talk about the upcoming reprint of that novelization. Cause I think we should probably just jump into it. Um, I will say there's a tremendous book, two books called one called taking shape and the other taking shape part two. Um, and if you're interested in any Halloween stuff and the making of it, the making, 
the of the other films uh films that never took place scripts that were written all those backstories taking shape part one and two we should definitely get the writer or writers on i think it's two people on on here to talk about this because they would be the experts but those are we'll we'll show pictures we're gonna have a lot of posts for this one sean cool so we'll show pictures of it and then um so two quick things and then we could just jump in do you uh, the first is, so this was in 2006 was selected uh, for preservation in the United States Film Registry in the Library of Congress as being culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant. Um, agreed. And it's agreed. And it's safe to say that this kind of lays the foundation for a lot of films to come. Do you think Carpenter gives a flying fuck? No. No. <laughs> No, I don't think he cares. And I think if he ever comes on this podcast, I think we will talk about basketball and video games. Video and games. And uh, it'll be great. I will not say a word about the thing or Michael Myers to him at all. It'll be any smoke and weed and other things that John Carpenter likes to do. You like pizza, John? Let's have some pizza, John. And, you know, uh, this will date this episode, but you can always look this up on YouTube after the fact. But he was just on Colbert the other night. And and I watched it, and, and Colbert had nothing really to add. It was almost just his fanboy moment, like almost like Chris Farley. Like it was just like remember this part in the thing, you know. That was and, awesome. And he asked he asked John Carpenter if in the thing, and I know we're talking about a different movie. You would be able to tell at the end if it, you know if you was it your child's and the eye or the whatever. Thing. And Carpenter goes, "Well, you would be able to tell if you look closely, right?" And then he said, Carpenter said, so if you watch the movie and you look closely and you send me a check in the mail, I'll tell you you what the deal was. Um, And so there are so many things, Sean, that are iconic about this film. So many things. We're going to get the title treatment. We're going to get the score. We're going to get the poster. Incredible poster. Uh, the poster created by Bob Gleason, and he worked with a design firm at the time that specialized in movie posters. Um, I could not find a good interview with him online, one that Fangoria did that wasn't really deep. I would love to see if we could talk to him or, or email him and get some info because I would love to know more about how he painted that poster. Are there, there are there sketches of it? Are there concept sketches? I, I really couldn't find anything. He He's done other posters for Fog. Arthur, he did album covers for Gladys Knight and Stevie Wonder. Um, it seems like he focuses on fine art now, but um, just an amazing poster. So we get that, and then we get the performances, iconic performances from Donald Pleasance, Jamie Lee Curtis. Um, and then we get a franchise built off of this, which I, I, I venture to say at that time, 1978, is there anything else that they're building a franchise off of? There's only one other thing that's getting a franchise built off at the time, and that's Star Wars, right? Okay. Star Wars. When was and, Freddy and, and Jason and all them? Much later than 78. That would be Probably in the early 80s. 80s. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know when the first Friday the 13th came out. Okay. But I think that was 81, if I remember correctly. Maybe? Vertebrae facts. Oh, yeah. I just lied. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not a big, you know, full disclosure, I'm not a big Friday the 13th uh, person, so I don't know a lot about it. But I will just say a huge 
film franchise built on this. So we get, and we can run through them and then we'll get to the movie. I promise. But I just wanted to get this out of the way. We get Halloween in 78, Halloween two in 81, Halloween three season of the witch, which takes us on a, a different path. And I love that movie. 1982 Halloween four, the return of Michael Myers, 88 Halloween five, the revenge of Michael Myers, 89 curse of Michael Myers, 95. And we get H2O 20 years later, 98. Then we get Resurrection in 2002. Then we, then we get Rob Zombie dipping his toes into the water in 2007 with Halloween, 2009 with Halloween 2. Then David Gordon Green shows up, gives us Halloween again, 2018. Halloween Kills in 2021. Halloween Ends in 2022. And now an announcement that they're going to be doing a TV series that will build a whole new cinematic universe based off of Michael Myers. So he's not going anywhere, not going anywhere. Amazing. And it deserves <sighs> it all. Amazing. It deserves it all. Yeah. Do you remember when you saw this movie? Not, not the first time I probably i caught it on tv a couple of times mm. but i think i mean i was always again afraid as a kid this was another one i had to slowly dip my toes into but there was a there was a time when i was just weekly running the blockbuster and renting horror movie after horror movie and like still like closing my eyes but still mm. like watching and this was one of them that after i know that after i watched it i was like i'm buying this i need to own this this is one of the greatest movies i've ever seen but no i don't remember my exact first time seeing it because it was just in with all the gigantic other horror movies i was watching all in that same time yeah, definitely when i was a kid though i think <sighs> So I think I saw it. I might have seen it on TV, like parts of it when it came when it was on TV. And later on, we can get into what they did to get it on TV, because that's pretty interesting. Um, and definitely like probably like a sleepover or something. Somebody had it on, on VHS and, and then I saw it and it really made me really uncomfortable. Uh, the, the entire film, um, it set me down a path. And, and, and I want to say that. This movie, it spawns all of these copycat films and and all of this other stuff that's made. And they all kind of miss the heart and soul of this movie. A lot of them will go heavy into gore um, and shocking moments. And I think there's a heart and soul to this film, this film that's, you know, a shock film that a shotgun pace um, that you can't recreate. And I would say it's very similar to how people want to recreate Alien and they just think if they have a cool creature that they could recreate alien um, or they understand HP Lovecraft, if they just throw some tentacles in and they get cosmic horror. And I think they're just skimming the surface of, of what it is. Um, th this movie is extremely impactful in a lot of ways. I, I will say Carpenter, he's definitely, he's not into all the theories on this movie. We get into, you know, the, the final girl and there's some feminism and some other things rolled into this and, you know, toxic masculinity and, and all of these other aspects of it, which are really cool to roll in and, and a moral statement that they have as well, that people have added to this after the fact. And he wasn't thinking of any of that when he was filming, he just needed to get this movie done and he made cool shots.
but that's something for us geeks to talk about. Cool right, shots. Done. One after another, after another. This brings us to episode 19 in Madness Pod, Sean the Butcher and Vertebrae 33 covering Halloween. First off, happy Halloween. If you're listening to this episode on In Madness Monday, we are right there. It is mm-hmm. Halloween. Uh, and I hope you eat lots of candy and don't get a tummy ache. Second off, it took me about 15 minutes to get the AV cables working properly on my VCR so I could watch the version that I bought many years ago at Sam Goody in Roosevelt Field, uh, the VHS version of Halloween, which is also signed by Jamie Lee Curtis, which is just with my name on it. That's amazing. That's Jamie so Lee cool. Curtis is the best. That's not all. I also have the uh, what is it? The movie oh, yeah. Todd McFarlane. If you're not watching on YouTube, you're missing out on me showing all my cool shit. And of course, I mean, who doesn't have a, a Michael Myers mask? I don't. Around? I need at one. All times you need one. Now I know what to get you for your for uh, next year's birthday. Well, if we're you. showing stuff, hold on. So I mean, I brought here. the stuff over. Yeah, <laughs> I thought we were showing stuff. You got to watch this on YouTube. We're showing so this got, is visual uh, part. Wow, taking, taking shape one and two. Incredible. We've got uh, the printed out. in blood. That's sick. Halloween art book. Um, we're gonna post I'm all in, of this. Hell right, yeah. I, my poster is in this. That that I sell, so it's there. There's a cheap. There's a cheap plug, and can I reach behind me and get this without? Go like, ahead. We're gonna post it. all of this stuff on the socials at In Madness Pod without breaking anything. Let's Send us your stuff, whatever Halloween stuff uh, you have. We've got the around. vinyl box set of all of the films so in there. So um, sick. And I've got a figure somewhere. I don't have Sean. I don't. Ooh. I don't have a. That's okay. Dropping the albums on the ground. Uh, I don't have a Halloween mug. Oh, nope. so now I know <laughs> you need a mask and a mug. Check out our socials for a picture of Vertebrae in New York Comic Con holding a mug that he purchased. Vertebrae loves mugs. Uh, but you said it already. This movie is full of iconic music and iconic shots. We're going to get into them all right now. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. Are you ready? Um, we blew through so much time already. Let's get into it. I apologize Halloween. for that. Long no, it's okay. You gave us a lot of info that I feel was very necessary and stuff that I even learned already. The music kicks in. It's the first thing you hear. The iconic Halloween theme. Mm-hmm. Uh, once you hear it, it's in your head. It will never leave for as long as you live. Uh, it will be around long after you expire. It's iconic. Written by John Carpenter as well. You mentioned that. Um, I've seen him perform this live at Terminal 5, as well as The Thing and Escape from New York, all of his movie themes many, many years ago. Yep. That's awesome. Yep. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. I'm jealous. Jealous. Uh, I think he's going back on tour or something. I don't know. I hope he goes back on tour. We'll know and we'll go. Maybe you'll go. Who knows? We'll go and then we'll go backstage and we'll do the interview finally. Uh, mm-hmm. You see the glowing pumpkin, another iconic image. And then just in the opening credits, we smacked with the incredible Donald Pleasance and introducing Jamie Lee Curtis, her first movie ever. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this score completed in three days. Sick. Yeah. I love that you have the shirt on right at the opening credits. Music by John Carpenter. Yep, ordered from Sacred Bones, by the way. If you want to order the record label Sacred Bones, they're in Brooklyn. 
they're now proud owners of one of my posters as well. And we talk, I talked to them a little bit at Comic-Con. So check out Sacred Bones. They got a, a lot of cool stuff on there. While the credits are rolling, we're zooming into the pumpkin. And I noticed the pumpkin also has a nose that looks like a sharp kitchen knife. Mm-hmm. Finally, the movie opens. We're in Haddonfield, Illinois. Uh, we hear the Halloween intro fading. The kids speaking in unison. Black cats and goblins, broomsticks and ghosts, covens of witches. With all of their hosts, you may think they're scare me. You're probably right. Black cats and goblins on Halloween night. Trick or treat. Wow, that's great. On the screen, it appears Halloween night, 1963. A night that will be etched in history for eternity. Mm-hmm. I also Googled what night this was actually in reality, and it is a Thursday, in case you were curious. Yeah, yeah, it was. <laughs> which, which uh, it changes a lot of things because there was supposed to be a dance that was the next day, and there was a, supposed to be a football game that would be a Saturday. High school football game would be on a Saturday, and so that, yeah, it kind of blows that out of the water. We're looking first person. It's like a video game out from behind a tree. The first thing we see, the Myers house, another iconic image. Cute mm-hmm. little white house, some lights on it, pumpkin out front, shrouded in shadows. It definitely looks quaint, but also creepy as hell. From our point of view, we're approaching the house slowly. In the window of the front door behind the shade, we see a young couple making out. My parents will be home at 10, the young girl <laughs> says. So they move out, uh, out of the front door, and so do we. They sneak over to the living room. So now from our point of view... The room, we see them in the living room making out immediately very creepy. We're in the stalker's shoes. We've seen what they see. We're in the first person point of view, and they're using, uh, it was a Panaglide camera rig that they use with the Panasonic camera, so that stabilizes it. So one person can just walk with that camera attached to them on a harness, um, and that steadies the movement, and you get that nice, smooth shot kind of all the way through this scene, which is really key two things key to this movie i mean there's a million things that are but obviously the sound uh is a big deal the score that's with it and this camera movement from that point of view is pretty amazing we're watching these kids make out the guy asks we are alone aren't we Mm. as if he can sense something or he's trying to get the second base real quick well he does get to possibly a home run really quick (laughs) the girl goes michael's around someplace the boyfriend quickly grabs a clown mask puts it on his head he starts kissing the girl who laughs tells him to take it off let's go upstairs here we go the kids go up the stairs and through our point of view we're looking around the house very richard ramirez night stalkery creepy kind of shit Mm-hmm. that's not enough we go back to the front of the house we look up we see a full moon and upstairs the light that is on in the girl's room goes off and the second it turns off you get hit with the spine chilling high pitch noise the that stinger leads. yeah yeah, yeah. i think we got to cut some of these into this episode i mean sure. i would love to that would be awesome that's going to take yeah. so much editing i don't think that's even going to be possible <laughs> Uh, I'm also, uh, after purchasing this movie on VHS, I remember riding my bike to a record store to pick up the CD for the soundtrack, which I still own somewhere at my parents' house. Uh, You have to own this soundtrack if you don't. This incredible music is playing. Uh, What's amazing is this epic shriek of music. It lingers for a little while. 
just mm-hmm. this one sound and it's trailing from our point of view. Now we run around to the back of the house. We're in the backyard. There's no lights on anywhere. It's very creepy. There's this lingering tone. And then we step foot into the house and a creepy piano tune starts playing. It's spine chilling. All of these will be available on the in madness playlist on our Spotify playlist. Make sure you check all of it out there. Um, I feel like our playlist will just be Halloween. Hell yeah. There's going to be at least like five or six themes on there. Yeah. We walk into the kitchen. The lights turn on. We look over to a drawer and open it. And very odd, we see a very tiny hand and arm and what looks like to be a clown suit reach inside the drawer and grab an enormous kitchen knife. And and that hand is Deborah Hill's hand. Cool. So she's, yeah. So she's grabbing the, the knife. Uh, It lifts it menacingly in a stabbing position. The music is still creepily playing in the background. We walk into the living room where the kids were just making out, which is just horrifying to think about. It's like one minute you're there, the next minute there's a maniac with a knife standing in your living room. Mm -hmm. Terrifying. We're still seeing everything from first-person point of view. There's a big-ass grandfather clock in the living room. Then we hear Jabroni Tony, the boyfriend, I don't know what his real name is. <laughs> he hasn't been upstairs with this girl for more than 48 seconds. Yeah. Get ready. He's like, look, Judith, I got to go. He's he's able to go upstairs, get undressed, do what he's got to do, and then roll out in less than a minute. He's putting his shirt on as, as he leaves. Um, as yeah. he's walking down the steps, he's putting his shirt on. Judith's like, are you going to call me tomorrow? He's like, sure. As if he's doing her a favor. Mm-hmm. after the 37 seconds of delight he just gave her and he survives that's the bummer take that kid out instead of Judith. <laughs> from our point of view we're hiding behind a wall so the boyfriend doesn't see us he leaves we walk out to the hall we look up the stairs and slowly creepily begin making our way up this dark staircase as we're walking up the large grandfather clock begins chiming creepily it sets mm-hmm. this insane tone we approach the top of the steps, and on the floor is the clown mask the boyfriend was using to kiss Judith with. Definitely uh, some sort of clown, creepy costume picks up the mask. We put it on, and now from our point of view, we can only see through the little eye holes in the mask. Groundbreaking so, moment. Groundbreaking moment. Clothes right? are scattered all over the floor. This intense music is lingering, escalating building this insane tension we go around the corner and approach a door and as we turn inside we see judith naked in her room combing her hair singing to herself yeah who does that she's just brushing her hair in the room naked like just having a good old time she just had a great bang she's very happy with how everything went do you uh, do that sean now that you have long hair do you just sit in your room naked and brush your hair i do own a comb now I've never own owned a comb. a comb. I just turned 40, and for the first time in my life, I own a comb. That's so, fantastic. There you yeah. go. Uh, to the view from this mask, is it just, just this is all very iconic. We're going to say this word. We'll probably need other words to describe this. Um, what's fun about this is when they do eventually show this on television, and we'll get into later in, in the second part of this. Because oh, they can't happened. show beards. they. The eye holes are just smaller, and it's more like blacked out looking. Make the eye holes smaller, clever. You see see less of it, so you don't have to change what they filmed. You just see less of what they filmed. And if you bring them in just a little bit, it actually because there's not a lot of blood in this movie, so it actually covers a lot of that. The second Judith is in our line of sight again, we get hit with the 
sends chills down your spine. We look at the bed. Uh-oh, it's not made. The deed has been done. Jabroni Tony gave Judith 29.3 seconds of pleasure, and we're seeing it all through the eyes of the clown mask. We look back at Judith. We approach her. She combs her hair, looks behind her, and screams, Michael! <laughs> Again, Carpenter hits us with this low tone of doom. Stabbing, piercing, Judith screaming. We look up through the mask to see the little tiny hand with the large knife stabbing and stabbing and stabbing repeatedly. We hear it, the breathing under the mask. Iconic. It sets the tone perfectly. It's like high-pitched, fast-paced breathing. It sounds like a young kid. Yeah, we get that throughout the rest of the movie, and we get it in other films, and it's been emulated a lot. But um, certainly... as we go on in the movie, there's a lot of running around in a mask. And God, those masks, you get so, you get so sweaty, so drippy, so gross around the, around the mouth. Like, a, you know, God forbid you had a, runny, a, run, a little runny nose or some fall allergies. It's, uh, you know, it's putting in work with that mask on. We look on the floor and there's Judith, topless, covered in blood. Michael has killed her. Quickly, still through the eyes of the clown mask, we head downstairs, hearing this slow, creepy, almost sympathetic music as we begin racing out of the house. Through the front door, we walk out and a car is slowly approaching the front of the house, stops in front of us, and two adults get out, a man and a woman, and they say, Michael, as if Mm. they know him. The man rips off the mask. Which, my friends, brings me to my making of the alpacas moment. There's 150 of them in this movie, but I'm doing it now. Mm. The mask comes off in like Scooby-Doo. From the audience point of view, we see what's going on. Michael is a child. Eight, ten years old. Do you have an age? Oh, God. I had it written down. I thought you had it. I was like, oh, Sean will have it. No, I was like, I'm going to ask him and put him on the spot. (laughs) Oh, come on. I had it. I had it. We had computer errors. I had it written down. I'm going to say, oh, God. I guess Sean's going to look 10. it up. Yeah, Sean's going to yeah. look. I have a whole Loomis bit. When I go okay. to Loomis, we'll get his. Uh, standing there in his bill. clown costume for Halloween. Uh, these people in the car are his parents. He just killed who we can presume to be his sister, Judith. Uh, and this fucking kid is standing there with his bloody ass knife. And I love this shot. The kid is still, he's stunned, looking dead into the camera, but frozen in place. As are like the parents are just standing there looking puzzled. It's like time stops and the camera pans out up high as a roof of a house. And the parents are just standing there in shock looking at young Michael. Yeah, it's a funny shot when you kind of look at the mom's face. She just has this really just very disapproving look. But it's almost, the look is almost not strong enough for what, it's not strong enough for what has just happened, but it's just very like, you know, how could you eat the last cupcake? But it's more like you just murdered your sister. There's no, I. it's a really cool effect shot. I don't think it means anything as far as like what would have really happened in that situation, but you pan out and, and it's just really played up almost like a painting right then and there. Everybody's just frozen. Very cool. Very cool. Uh, when I first saw this movie, I was like, oh, my God, a kid's a killer. Cool. I was <laughs> like, they finally made somebody else a murder. But then, like, he grows up to be Michael Myers. Thunder cracks on the screen. We're in Smith Grove, Illinois. It's October 30th, 1978. So here we are 15 years later. So mm-hmm. I'm guessing Michael is now around, what, 2025? <laughs> 
Oh God! Uh, the car is driving through the night. It's pouring rain inside it's the 21 car. Twenty-one during 21. the original. Twenty-one. Okay. And and there's a cut scene. I should have actually known this. There's a there's a cut scene. So he would have been. Do the math on that, Sean. Fifteen six. years later, twenty-one. He was six. You were right. So he was six. Oh, no, I said eight or ten. I was wrong. Right. It's it's not a cut scene. There's an added scene where they go into this and i should have known because i watched these added tv scenes which we'll talk about later but we we meet loomis donald pleasant's character um sam loomis and he was named after um the same name from alfred hitchcock's psycho right loomis and janet lee was famously in psycho um and for the loomis character carpenter originally wanted cushing peter cushing or christopher lee but both passed um, on the film because the pay was way too low. Obviously they, they didn't have a lot of money for this movie. And in, in this way, and you love when I roll star Wars into something, but Carpenter got his Alec Guinness, much like George Lucas got Alec Guinness to play Obi-Wan. And he was a very well-known actor when he played that role. And Alec Guinness famously didn't understand star Wars that much and didn't really get it. Uh, neither did Donald Pleasance at this time. He just, he just kind of wanted his check to clear and get this quick shoot done and make some money. Ironically enough, he goes on to appear in a bunch of these movies. Um, But I think it was a big deal for them to get, to get somebody like that, such a seasoned actor to kind of, they're all kids making this movie. They're all super young. Carpenter's young. Deborah Hill's young. Everybody working on is young. The actors, um, so it was great to have him, and and he does a fantastic job. He's he's one of the angriest psychiatrists I've ever seen in my life. He he knows how to have a little fun. <laughs> Cars driving around the night is pouring rain inside the car. There he is, Donald Pleasance, Doctor Loomis. The second we see him, the thunder cracks loud. We see he's in the passenger seat in the car. The driver, a young woman, a nurse, smoking a cigarette. He asks her if she'd done anything like this before. She's like, only minimum security. The headlights show that they are traveling at, uh, to a state hospital. Thunder cracks again. She says the only thing that bothers her is gibber- is uh, all the patients gibberish when they start raving on and on like I'm doing right now. He tells <laughs> her she has nothing to worry about. He hasn't spoken a word in 15 years, he says. She asks if there's any special instructions. Just try to understand what we're dealing with here. Don't underestimate it. She says, can you refer to it as him? And reluctantly, Loomis says, if you say so. But they have decided to transport him on a rainy night, the night before Halloween, when he killed his sister. So we think he's ultimate evil. Who's who's going with them? Where are they going? All of that's very confusing. But just these films, as it moves along, continue to do this. They continue to feel the need to do things with Michael around that date. And I would stay as far as I could <laughs> away from that date. That just seems silly to me. Get him when get him when it's hot out. Get him yeah. on July fourth or something. Yeah, 4th of July, Michael. Sorry, you thought you were seeing the fireworks. You got to go in front of this review board now. Yeah, like, what a yeah just, just a bad idea. And you do get a sense very quickly that nobody is listening to Loomis. 
Like they just think he's some quiet kid, but nobody's listening to him. They're just he's telling them he's pure unmitigated evil. And everybody's like, Yeah, whatever, whatever. Everybody blows him off. Everybody. Poor Loomis. <laughs> she asked what to give Michael when they take him in front of the judge, Thorazine, he says. Hmm. He'll barely be able to stand up. That's the idea. She puts down her pack of cigarettes on her match as we see Rabbit in Red Lounge. They zoom mm-hmm. in on it, and Loomis is oddly staring at it. Mm-hmm. She asks if he's serious about it. He says, yes. You mean you actually never want him to get out? Loomis says, never, never. And then Thunder cracks loudly again, and again he says, never. Mm-hmm. Loomis is deeply concerned. She asks why they're bringing Michael all the way up to Hardin County. Because that is the law. Mm. That's one of my Loomis impressions. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. Here we are. And once again, the iconic Halloween theme music kicks in. They pull up to the gate of the mental hospital. The thunder cracks again loudly. And outside in the pouring rain are the patients of the hospital in white robes walking around. The nurse goes, since when do they let them wander around? They don't. God damn it. You are in deep shit right now. <laughs> That's not what Loomis says. That's just me on my couch screaming at her. Hmm, yeah. Wor- worried, Loomis tells her to pull up to the main gate. As she's driving, the camera focuses on Loomis, who already knows he's got that look on his face like he's gone. He is gone. Mm-hmm. They pull up to the gate. Loomis gets out to check it. Up behind the back of the truck jumps a man. We get this cool, uncomfortable laser sound effect or whatever the hell it is. <laughs> his action music. Uh, but you don't get a clear shot of his face. All you see are the brake lights shining brightly off him as he jumps on the roof of the car. You already know it's Michael. The nurse hears rumbling on the roof. She opens her window to see what's up, and his hand pops in and just grabs on her whole face and her nostrils and everything. Mm-hmm. So she drives the car into a whatever little embankment. She runs over to the passenger seat, and then behind her, we see the hand come down behind the window, and in a very noticeable cutscene. we see the hands smash on the window and break the glass right uh, with a wrench there's like a wrench or something in the hand to smash the glass you, you can see it yeah <laughs> yeah it's funny. It, it freaks her out she opens the door she runs out of the car and then the man on the roof in the white robe gets down hops in the car drives off Loomis runs over asking if she's all right. She says, yes, he's gone. He's gone from here. The evil is gone. I love it. That's my other one. Yeah, the evil's gone, and he's an excellent driver. (laughs) The car's driving off in the distance, panicking. Loomis gets into action, runs off to get some help. (laughs) Cut to Haddonfield. Birds are chirping. Leaves are falling very few, yeah, a few leaves a few leaves so they they didn't have this is filmed in california and it's may and it, and all the trees are really green um and there's lots of little because this was filmed so quickly lots of little things that kind of jump around in, in the movie um but uh they had to recollect these leaves after every shot so they could use them on the next shot so it's a lot of running around chasing leaves when it's breezy out and and Haddonfield so there's a Haddonfield in New Jersey that I grew up not far from cool um and it's a it was kind of like the it's a little bit of a fancier town than the one I than the one I grew up in although I hung out there once in a while 
Um, and I think famously, I think Paul Schaefer's twin brother lives in Haddonfield, New Jersey. I don't know if he still does or not, but that is very weird. If you have, back in the day would go through there and be like, hey, is that he looked just like him. Is that Paul just, Schaefer? No, yeah, it's no, it's not. It's his twin brother. <laughs> I wonder, I always wondered if he would just tell people like that. Yeah, whatever. Take a picture. Just who cares? Get this over with. So all of this added for me, added even more weirdness because Haddonfield was a real place and it wasn't far away. And and so this just everything freaking me out anyway. It was like, oh, my God, did it happen? And I think I think there was even a rumor when I was younger that like this was though it was illinois it was based in hadfield new jersey and something happened there that was similar to the you know like all those rumors that start but yeah freak me out on the screen we see it's halloween another iconic carpenter theme begins playing all these will be available on the in madness playlist on spotify it's just amazing we're in the suburbs we zoom in on a house out comes jamie lee curtis laurie schrode in all her glory, schoolgirl, she's in stocking dress, very much for the time. She's a nerd, just like me and you, and you listening. Mm-hmm. She's got her bag full of books, and if that's not enough, she's carrying three or four more gigantic-ass books as well. <laughs> a man comes out of the house on his uh, car. We see Strode Realty. He tells Lori, don't forget to drop the key off at the Myers place. She promises she won't. A family is coming by to look at the house that morning. Tells her leave the key under the mat. She walks to school, reaches a corner, and up runs little Tommy. And wait, Sean. So there's a a lot of few kind of a few like weird plans in in this movie, and one of them is let's show the house on the day that the kid killed his sister in it on Halloween. Let's show this house. It's 15 years. The statute of limitations on those murders. It's just, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Just any, again, any Any other other day. day. (laughs) Let's transport them at Halloween. Let's show the house because people are going to, nobody coming to that house, unless you're from outside that area, you have to assume everybody in the area knows about this. Oh, it's a legendary house. Everybody knows about it. Yeah. I mean, we, we live, you and I live not far from Amityville, right? The Amityville horror house, big deal. We know everyone knows about it. Um, everyone knows when it happened. And that's the day, like when you walk somebody through that house, oh, why has this house been abandoned for so long? Oh, it's funny you should ask. It's not even cleaned up. It's not even cleaned up. There's probably still dry blood on the floor. Yeah, this six-year-old killed his sister in it. And you know what? 15 years ago, today, like, you just recently bought a house. I'm leaving that house (laughs) immediately. There's no way. What are the taxes on this bitch? Oh, you're trying to negotiate. Sean's just <laughs> negotiated. Oh. I mean, it said you're asking 375, but I'm uh, 150. Come on. Yeah. Nobody's what buying is- this house. It's been 15 years. It's a complete disarray. Little Tommy comes screaming for Lori, runs up to her with his little book bag, asks if she's coming over tonight. Same time, same place. He wants to make jack-o'-lanterns, watch monster movies, have her read to him, make popcorn. This dude has the date of a lifetime set up, but she mm. is his babysitter. She agrees to do everything. How come she's walking to school this way? Dad asked her to. Why? To drop off a key. Why? To sell a house. Why? That's his job. Where? The Mm. Myers house. Mm. As they're walking up to this beat up, dilapidated ass house. 
no longer the nice quaint house we saw in the beginning. This one looks like it hasn't been touched since the incident 15 years ago. But Lori's dad is about to make this sale. And I have my notes here. What do, what do you think this house is going for? <laughs> <laughs> Let me, it's 1978. So I'm going to say that you could probably get 20 a house. grand. You could probably get a house, a good house for 40 or 50 at the time. I'm going to throw up. Stop. I'm going to throw up. It's got to be, it's got to be half of that. I'm, I would I'm think. feeling faint. I'm feeling faint. You're going to make me oh, do God. it. Are you, are you are you buying the murder house for a discount? Is that what's happening? <laughs> yeah, I mean, come on. Talk him down a little bit. Talk him down. What's the roof like? How old's the roof? I want to know well, how old the roof is. Listen, we we already know that there's there's gutter issues. We <laughs> yeah. find out later there's an issue with the gutters. <laughs> so yeah. That shit Strode is not really, cheap. Yeah. They did not this is well before uh the idea of staging a home. This is way before that. Now they would have cleaned it up. They would have burned some candles. They would have had a big home sweet home sign in the kitchen. And this is where you could put your big screen TV. And they would have put some knickknacks in there and rented furniture. They're just like, nope, somebody died in this house. A a young girl died in this house, killed by her brother. It's been sitting here 15 years. Nobody's touched it. You want to buy it? What do you think? How's the plumbing? (laughs) Yeah, Strode Realty is not the best business, baby. And all of this, when we get to Halloween 2, gets even stranger. We won't get into it. But I like, want to get to that one soon. Maybe next yeah. year. Yeah, I mean, listen, I think that we should just hit some rapid-fire Halloween movies throughout the year. Because Let's there's just it. so many. You know, Let's There's no it. reason to wait. We'll never this get to This was a them big all. one. We waited a long time to get to this one. Almost for our one-year anniversary, which is also going to be another friggin' debacle of a fun time. Uh, little Tommy goes to the Myers house. You're not supposed to go up there. She jingles the keys in his face. Yes, I am. Runs up the path to the door. Tommy tells her it's haunted inside the house. We're looking at Tommy and Laurie through a thin shade and we hear it. The breathing. <sighs> Laurie runs up the steps, tells Tommy, just watch, places the key under the mat back inside the house. We see Laurie walking away and we hear the breathing again. And wow, mm. the doom tone. And we hear breathing inside of a mask. And I'm going to say that again. We hear breathing inside of a mask and we see him in a mask later on. But then we get to a part in this movie that doesn't make sense. With oh, I'm curious as to what yeah. it is. Yes, hit yeah. me with it. Okay, cool. Yeah. Very yeah. exciting. Uh, all we see is a shape. We don't see anything. We just know something's there. It's a head, a silhouette, lurking. Michael, we know it's Michael. Tommy says, Lonnie Lamb said never to go up there. Lonnie says it's a haunted house. Awful stuff happened there once. Don't tell Lori's dad. No. (laughs) She tells him that Lonnie probably won't make it out of the sixth grade. So this is a legendary house in the neighborhood. If Lonnie Lamb knows about it, then everybody knows about it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Lori and Tommy walk from the house. Uh, Tommy bails, says he'll see her tonight. Lori says bye and continues walking. And begins singing. What I believe. Do you have this gnarly bit about Lori's song she's singing? So it's it's uh she made it up. Correct. So she's just walking down the road singing the song, and it just just the two of us are that she's singing, um, which is really interesting in a lot of ways. One for what we get as the movie moves along and the 
the relationship with the two of them before we get the immediate sort of thing with the two of them. And then we even get, when we hit the sequels of this, that that song has even more weight. But it's a cool little, um, you know, acting bit on her part. I'm not sure if she thought of it on her own or John told her to sing something or she just did it. But it's very cool. And, and it certainly has a lot of weight. In the same shot as she's walking about 20 feet away, but right in front of us, right in frame, walks a shoulder standing there, Michael, breathing heavy, and vertebrae's favorite, daytime mm-hmm. horror. So much of it is, you know, two things I love is daytime horror and, and people driving station wagons, and we we get a lot of both of those. This is fresh early in the morning, right after breakfast daytime, or on the way to school daytime horror. Like, that's the creepiest time to be creepy. Yeah. And, you know, I thought about this, and this is not going to, we're never going to get through these episodes if I keep taking us on tangents. <laughs> but I, I thought about this, why it bothers me so much. And I think it's because you're, one, you're supposed to feel safe in daylight, that we innately are, are have a fear of the dark. And that's fine. You can't see what's going on, you don't know what's happening. I get it. But we're supposed to be in control in the daylight and we're supposed to have people around to help us. And in this movie in particular, all this stuff in daylight, there's nobody around. There's no other kids walking to school. There's not a lot of cars on the road even. And, um, you know, and not to throw you a complete curve, Sean, because you don't know this about me. But like when I was younger and I'm, I'm actually expressing something personal for once on this podcast. Everybody sit down. Uh, I was picked on a, a lot and, and beat up quite a few times. Right? And that happens when that happens during the day. And you're like, oh, this kid's getting beat up and like, nobody's helping him. Like nobody's coming out of the house to help. No other kids are joining in. No other parents. They look out the window. They probably don't even care. It's just some kids being idiots. Um, so I, I think that added to it for me, it added to the weight of like, we're all supposed to be in control here. And like, this is happening. And does nobody care? Is it dude in, in, are they overalls or coveralls? I think the coveralls overalls, are little strappies, I think. Okay. So coveralls, I guess. Is it dude in coveralls and this, you know, creepy mask just in broad daylight standing places. It's just, uh, it's just really, really cool. And I don't know that a lot of other films did it as well as this. Actually, I'll say no other film did it as well as this. Going to go out on a limb. Do you have a milking of the alpacas moment? Have we hit it yet? Yeah, it's the entire movie. (laughs) (laughs) There's this long, uncomfortable shot, maybe 20 seconds, but it feels like 20 minutes because it's just him standing there, breathing heavily inside the mask, watching her as she's walking away. Come back to the hospital. Loomis is leaving the hospital. He's pissed. The guy following him seems to be the guy in charge at the hospital, of course, telling Loomis, I'm not responsible. Mm -mm. Sarcastic ass Loomis goes, oh, of course not. The man says, I told them how dangerous he was. Loomis annoyed says, you couldn't have roadblocks and an all points bulletin would stop a five year old. Mm. Passing the buck. Classically, the guy's like, well, he was your patient. If precautions weren't strong enough, you should have told somebody. And one of in one of my most favorite delivered Loomis lines in history, angrily, he yells, I told everybody, nobody listened. <laughs> he did. He tells everybody the entire time. 
and nobody's listening to him. Although he he's kind of laxed about it as this movie goes on too, and we can we can talk about that. But he he was telling he was telling a lot of people, and no, and nobody was listening at all. The guy in charge is like, well, there's nothing else I can do. Yeah. Oh well. Loomis yells at him to get his ass back in the building, get on the phone, tell him exactly who who walked out of there last night, and tell them where he's going. Loomis knows. Mm-hmm. The man following Loomis does not seem to believe him, as does nobody. He goes, Haddonfield's 150 miles away. For God's sakes, he can't drive a car. Annoyed, Loomis yells, he was doing very well last night. Maybe someone around here gave him lessons. <laughs> I want to see that. That's I'm, what I want to see. So the first time uh, I heard that watching this movie, I was like, oh, who's in on it? Who else is in? Who else is whatever? Oh. Um, do, so again, uh, do you have this gnarly bit about in, this? Well, in the novelization, mm. they actually touch on these driving lessons that take place. Oh, they do. Yeah. Yeah. What do you, okay. what, what did you, so I believe in it's in Halloween six spoiler alert for that movie. That's over 20 years old. Uh, they say that that dude is the guy i think this could be sean fast but i'm pretty sure that that dude who loomis is yelling at in one of the later movies they're like yeah this is the guy who gave him driving lessons or something oh wow and i wonder we'll have to see when we get to it um and i have to read the novelization to see if that's connected because they did pick out things in the novelization including dialogue that they used in halloween 2 from the novelization of this movie so they could have picked up that nugget too but yeah there is there is a part in the book about uh the driving lessons so i'm gonna go off the rails a little bit right now because there's something i notice every single time i watch this movie loomis angrily drives away from the hospital because nobody's doing anything over the loudspeaker we hear dr chance please report to ward c Dr. Chance, Ward C, please. And then the scene cuts immediately to uh, Lori in her classroom and the teacher is talking. Mm -hmm. And I'm goddamn positive. This also might be Sean Facts. But I'm damn positive that it's the same voice coming out of the loudspeaker at the hospital and the same voice in Lori's classroom. I don't know. (laughs) Like... if they just because they echoed it a bit in uh-huh. the hospital scene so i'm sure either they were like no one's gonna fucking notice if this because it's like duh, 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 and then the other one's clear so like they're like who's mm-hmm. gonna be able to tell or i'm thinking maybe like there was another scene that was supposed to be in between those two that mm-hmm. like they would have been like oh they'll forget by the time this scene is over that it's the same voice and then they maybe like left that scene out and then by the time it was done they're like shit the same voice is back to back in two different places. It could also be complete two completely different voices. But every time I watch this, I'm like, that's the same lady's voice at the hospital and nice. Lori's teacher. Well, maybe we 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 get our first uh, Charlie Brown connection. It's like the wah 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 wah. wah, wah. Yeah, yeah. It does <laughs> sound exactly the same. So Lori's in class. Her teacher uh, is is essentially laying out the plot of the entire movie and the franchise. And wait, the the, the they say Doctor Chance. Yeah, Dr. Chance, please report to Ward C. Okay, so it's Dr. Chance, and then we cut to Laurie, and her teacher's talking about fate, mm. which is really interesting. Right? Mm-hmm. So there's Chance, and then there's fate. That's Oh, I didn't think of that. Okay. So they just fi- finished reading this book. Do you know what book they finished reading? I do not. Neither do I. I, I failed you <laughs> because it's, it's in my notes, and, and 
of course, everything has to happen at the exact moment. I, I text you earlier in the week to be like, I don't know if I can get this research done <laughs> and in time. And it says fate discussion in classroom for Lori next to it in bold letters, research. <laughs> and I don't have that research. So we can either, when we get to part two, we can discuss it. We'll fill it we in. We can That's leave so it funny. for the point five, but um, or let, oh, at a later date, or better yet, hurts. somebody that, knows that they can tell us. It's just there is so much in this movie, Sean. On There's the socials at in madness pod, or hit us in that mail sack in madness pod at gmail.com, dude. So funny, so funny. I'm sorry that I'm gonna throw you under the bus. No, bro. it's okay. And you know what's crazy is you and I, this podcast was I could have just done the research, my goddamn. But wait, self wait, this me. podcast was spawned from us doing an Instagram live and about I this don't movie about this movie i don't know but i think i think i might have had the book name for the instagram live because (laughs) that was the beginnings of this gnarly bit thing and um i think that i had at least looked that up or or something i knew it at one point totally forgot it was going to research it again and didn't get to it no we'll post it on the socials when everyone's hitting us with this is the book dummies Uh, here's the the book the teacher says as the book ends, uh, but what Samuels is really talking about is fate. Fate caught up with several lives here. No matter what course of action Collins took, he was destined to his own fate, his own day of reckoning with himself. Uh, another gnarly bit that I have, I'm pretty sure I heard in a documentary that this is also what happens to Laurie and her friends, that Michael is their fate and that there is no escaping him. And they are trapped in this endless loop and connection with this bond with him forever. But I think I heard that in some documentaries. Yeah, it works. It's great. So Lori is looking out the window, daydreaming, like I'm sure we all have done endlessly in in class. And more iconic Carpenter music kicks in, this haunting piano. It's calm but looming terror. Lori looks out the window and God damn it, in another one of the most iconic shots ever, through the shades, out the window, is the station wagon, which was stolen from Dr. Loomis and the nurse, and outside, again, you can't really see him, but it's definitely Michael. Mm-hmm. And, and what a crack police staff we have here, because he broke out of this hospital. He stole their car with the big emblem on the side. He's just been driving it around all over the place with that mask on, and like not one person has has seen him. It's Halloween. Yeah, yeah. I mean, now with cell phones, everybody would have, everybody would have snapping pictures of him. Here he is with his turn signal on. The face seems white. He's just standing there behind the station wagon, staring directly into the window. And even though it's far away across the street, you can feel his eyes gazing directly into Lori's soul. And again, Vertebrae's favorite, daytime horror. Mm -hmm. And this is probably 45 minutes after he was stalking her at his own house. Lori can feel him looking at her. She looks down at her desk uncomfortably. Her teacher asks, how does Samuel's view of fate differ from that of Costains, Costains. I'm terrible. Mm. It's okay. Lori looks back out the window now, and only a little bit clearer. We see the car. We can assume to be Michael standing right there behind it. You could sort of make out that he's wearing a mask, but you still can't really see it. And then, in an even more horrifying move, 
the teacher calls on Lori while she's looking out the window. <laughs> Stunned, Lori's like, huh? And the teacher goes, answer the question. Me in school? Sean? Busted. I'd have been like, sorry. I was complete. I didn't hear a word you said. Because even I remember the first time watching this movie, when she got called out, I'm like, oh, no. What did mm -hmm. the teacher ask? I have no idea. I was not paying attention. No, but you weren't carrying those books. You probably like somebody else. You forgot your math book, your chemistry book, your history book. <laughs> not not Laurie Strode. She's a smarty pants. She was looking out the window and listening to her teacher. She's got the answer. Costain wrote that fate was somehow related only to religion. Samuels felt that fate was like a natural element, like earth, air, fire, water. Ding. Correct. Laurie nailed it. A plus. Mm hmm. And then our teacher goes, correct, Samuel's definitely personified fate. Again, this is Michael. Michael is Lori's fate, personified evil. In her success and freedom to daydream again, Lori looks out the window and he's gone. Like Batman. <laughs> Was he there? Was it a figment of her imagination? Did it really happen? The teacher says Samuel's right that fate is immovable like a mountain. It stands where man passes away. Fate never changes. And this is our story, Laurie and Michael. Right. So basically, they're basing this entire story on a book, and I didn't bother to find out what it <laughs> <laughs> was. Just, just fire me now from Gnarly Bits. We'll get somebody else in here. We'll replace No, we will definitely it. answer the question soon, I think. We'll, we'll do it. We're going to do it in part two. We're going to do it in part two. Before we get to part two, I'm gonna, we're gonna we're gonna figure this we're out. Gonna, we're gonna sort this out. We're gonna come out. <laughs> we're gonna figure I, out what the fuck we're doing on this podcast. It's so funny because it's the only thing that I didn't get to in my That's notes. So and funny. as I'm paging through them here, I look and it just says research and my heart just sunk. And I was thinking, I hope he doesn't ask me about this. I hope he doesn't oh, ask me about this. Ah, it's the parts it's it's these parts that make this the best podcast on earth <laughs> but but uh you know when we see the mask can we talk about the mask for a second yes, you want to talk yes. about the mask what, what little you can see of the mask what little you can see so tommy lee wallace created that mask um and it was based what did they use to create that mask famously sean william you shatner know? yeah william shatner so it was a captain kirk mask there were two different masks they bought um and there were two options, two cheap latex masks, uh, bought for like $2 each or something at a local store. And one was Weary Wallace, which was this clown character. And another one was this one. And when they painted it white and sort of somebody put it on and came into the room where everyone else is, they all knew right away that that was that, was that mask that, that fits perfectly for the shape, this, this sort of featureless stark white and i know they've messed with it in all in all the movies but um to me the classic mask is the best what's your favorite mask sean first uh first first one definitely definitely a hundred percent it's so it gets a little weird at one point it gets really bright and they do some strange things with it um i, I once found this it doesn't exist anymore there was a halloween movie franchise podcast and they really went into the masks and apparently there's this huge subculture of people who recreate the masks themselves and they buy not only buy the replicas but figure out how to recreate them on their own and um i kind of dived into it 
partway through and there was some controversy about somebody doing something with one of the masks. You know, when you dive deep into like these little cultures you get and there was some beef with this podcast and another podcast and I was like, wow, this is crazy. We don't have podcast uh, beef yet. Yeah. Well, oh my God, we need podcast beef. I think that Man, bring the people fuck. In. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no. You know who it. I can't stand? I love them all. What do you want me to do? Yell at the guys at Blast Points? I think they're great. That's, nah, that's no good. way. No way. Yeah, we'll start. We'll start. We'll we'll do the rap beef with each other, and then maybe that'll create more podcast beef. Well, I think it has to be a horror movie podcast to fit, yeah, right? Yeah. Where sci horror and sci-fi head head podcast. podcast beef. Yeah, I think Bloody Disgusting has a podcast. We'll go with them. <laughs> we're gonna get crushed. But- Here's the problem. They're going to know what book they were talking yeah, about. Yeah, we're going to get crushed. They're going to be like, what's the movie? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> we're not prepared. The bell rings. The kids run out of school. Most of them are in Halloween costumes. Uh, there's a few, very few leaves scattered around the schoolyard. Here comes little Tommy from the beginning carrying this big-ass pumpkin. It's like half the size of him. He's getting picked on just because school sucks. He's screaming, leave me alone to these three jagoffs who are bothering him. He's going to get you. He's going to get you. The boogeyman is coming. Tommy just wants to be left alone. Don't you know what happens on Halloween? The jagoffs ask. Hmm. And I'm Tommy, this poor little bastard. Yeah, we get candy. So the three jagoffs laugh at him. They surround him. They keep yelling in his face. The boogeyman, the boogeyman. Tommy runs. They trip him. He falls to the ground, breaking his pumpkin. And do you know the gnarly bit about the pumpkin? No. Oh, it was like broken many times before for the actual shot that he falls and breaks. It's already like oh. definitely broken because oh, they only nice. had one pumpkin because pumpkins were not in season when they were filmed. Oh yeah, in California too. And and do you think okay, so we're talking about the boogeyman in this movie, in this movie universe, is the boogeyman at all related to Michael having killed his sister, or is it just the generic sort of like this creepy guy is going to get you. Like was I mean, cause they know the house, right? So they're yeah. afraid of the house. They're afraid to go in. They, they challenge each other to go in. They have a, this whole thing about the house. So, it, and stories get twisted. So is that house related to the boogeyman or are they two separate things? Do you think? No, I think it's, I think they're like in that town, they are related. Mm-hmm. That's like that's their that's their Pennywise. He lives yeah, because in that house. that story could be twisted. We might not even know that it was a kid. They're just going to be like the boogeyman got her. Yeah, then I yeah. yeah yeah the details. Fifteen mm-hmm. years later, definitely. Right, not like there's no social media. There's no way for them no. to Google it. There's no. This any is Marsha so. talking to Sharon, talking to Carol at the hair salon, and word getting spread and stories getting changed and. Bill right. and Tom at the auto shop telling their version of the story. Yeah, and then a very chill uh, Sheriff Brackett just chilling out. <laughs> Being a creep. <laughs> so the three Jagoffs run away laughing. Poor Tommy's just left there laying on his broken pumpkin. And hold on to your shit. As one of these punk kids goes running down the steps and snatch, Michael grabs him. Hmm. We see a little more of Michael now. He's wearing a dark blue jumpsuit. We see the masked face partially briefly for a millisecond. And at the exact same time, again, Carpenter hits us with that spine-chilling tone that makes you pop up the second you hear it. Michael Mm. grabs the kid. Immediately, the iconic Halloween theme begins playing in the background. The look on this kid's face is priceless. 
looks like he just looked into the mouth of hell. He goes from being a little punk shit to immediately getting his ass set straight. And it's great. The kid's standing there looking horrified at Michael, who sort of, you know, just lets him go. And the kid stands there for a second. And then he tears ass running in the opposite direction. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because it seems like Michael grabbed him. He's like, stop running. You're going to hurt yourself. Yeah. And again, broad, we're in broad daylight. Uh, there's an escaped uh, mental patient and all points bulletin or whatever it is driving the station wagon from the hospital. And there's nobody at the school to make sure that any of the kids will get home. Okay. We're just, we're all fine with it. And yes, Smith's Grove is not right there. It's not in Hanfield. Totally get it. But the guy who escaped miles away. Yeah. Yeah. But the guy who escaped killed his sister on that very day, 15 years ago. (laughs) Nobody's paying attention. Nobody's paying attention to us, to Loomis. And I think that's too, another piece that's like super scary when you watch this when you're young and I think anyone who sees it now, it's all ruined for them in a lot of ways. And I don't mean to say they can't enjoy it because it's a beautifully filmed and the score is amazing, but you'll have seen the copycats after this. But the other thing scary is like when you're a kid, you just figure adults have it all together that they're, they got everything under control. You know, what could go wrong? And here we are broad daylight. This guy's driving around in a car that's easily, (laughs) You could easily pick that car out in a mask and buy a school and nobody's in control of this at all. He's freewheeling, doing whatever he wants to do. The 70s were a crazy time. Yeah, I mean, they were just like, did the kid get home from school? I guess I'll find out when I get home from work. Maybe he did. You get this phenomenal shot. The Halloween music is playing. You hear Michael breathing under the mask. Tommy is walking through the schoolyard and straight out of every after school kidnapping special I've ever seen. Michael is (laughs) following Tommy on the outside of the school fence. And for a minute, it seems like Mike's dragging his hands on the fence like something like a kid would do. Mm -hmm. Then he picks Mm -hmm. up the pace a little. Maybe the fastest he gets this entire movie, which is still never above a walking pace. But he gets ahead of Tommy. He gets back to the station wagon, hops in. And now we're in the back seat of the car with Michael. It's like a cop car. So the back is gated off. But we, mm-hmm. the audience, are sitting in Michael's car. He's driving, following Tommy out of the schoolyard very slowly. The Halloween music is still pumping loud as hell. It is scary. In the first few seconds, we're just looking out the window at Tommy. This is... We say it all the time. We say it through this entire movie. Such a classic scene. So very disturbing. Um, and daylight horror. But I'll, I I want to say when you watch him turn the corner, his hands are so gentle on that steering wheel when, when he turns. This is before he, he went through burns and yeah. explosions. No, but like even how he's holding it, it's just, it's just kind of casually he's turns. Yeah, he's chilling. Yeah. And there's something even scarier about that, that he's just plodding along and pacing himself he turns the corner of the camera straightens out to the front seat we're looking through the gate from the back seat we just see part of michael's head a little bit of hair a hand his shoulder and out of the front window we see tommy walking being stalked you could hear michael breathing louder and louder as the music fades and michael pulls up right next to him what's he gonna do is he gonna kill Mm. him is he gonna snatch him will he do something horrible no mike hits the accelerator and drives off and what's funny is that passenger side window is 
no longer smashed from the previous night's attack. The nurse. So did did did, did Michael get maybe, the window? Yeah, maybe he's also a technician. Maybe he knows how to fix a window. Once he put the coveralls on, he was like, "I got this." Yeah, I have a question about that soon. We but I can middle. solve that. I can solve that in a second, in a split second. I can. Solve okay. That. Yep. Are you going to solve it? What was it? I will when you get to the next Oh, okay. Part. Well, it's right here. Uh, we cut to the middle of some big roadway intersection. We see a sign, Haddonfield, 73 miles. We see poor Loomis. His car parked on the side of the road. He's in a phone booth looking stressed, telling the person on the line he's on his way. You got to believe me, officer. He's coming to Haddonfield. Uh, you can tell, much like the Smith's Grove hospital guy, no one believes Loomis. No one really cares what he has to say. Mm-mm. He tells the officer on his phone, I'm his doctor. You must be ready for him. If you don't, it's your funeral. Hmm. He angrily hangs up the phone. A train is loudly passing in the background. Loomis notices a truck on the side of the highway with its door open. Phelps Garage on the side of the door. Hmm. Strewn about all over the place are Michael's white hospital garments we saw him wearing in the beginning when he stole Loomis's car. More iconic music, Halloween, Halloween music, kicks in as Loomis leans down on the floor and finds the rabbit in red lounge book of matches on the floor from the nurse that was using, that was with Loomis. Literally, he is following in Michael's footsteps on his way to Haddonfield. And so we see... So Loomis runs back to his car very alarmed, right? Uh, He doesn't notice a few feet away, the camera slowly pans over and there's a man dead, covered in blood in the bushes. Clearly the driver of this truck who Michael killed and stole his clothes, but not his truck. Yeah. He kept Loomis's car. He didn't think that was going to be hot. Yeah. Well, listen, here's the thing. One, Loomis is later on also not very observant of things that are a few feet away from him, so to speak. Uh, But I wonder how how did this go down? Did he run this guy off the road? Did he? He was hitchhiking. I probably think probably hitch that seventies. Heavy hitchhiking. So he parked the station wagon. Or well, no, who's going to pick up a hitchhiker in white robes? That's going to be yeah, kind of crazy. yeah. yeah maybe nickels. the guy was there making a phone call or something. Same yeah. as Loomis. Although his truck is pretty far away from the phone booth. If you pulled up, I don't know. You pull all the way in there. Uh, did he run him off the road? Did he have him repair the window of the car? And then follow him or something. I don't know. Maybe he had him fix the window of the car. And then the guy freaks out and realizes that I just fixed this window of this car for this escape mental patient. He hears on the radio or something. And he goes to go to the phone booth to call somebody to tell him. And then Michael takes him out. It'd be especially hard if Michael doesn't say a goddamn word. So he's just pointing at the window. And the guy's like, what? And Michael's just pointing at the window to fix the window. Oh, like he just does like the, and we'll date ourselves in this, but he's just cranking the window up and just kind of throwing his hands up and pointing at it. Like, oh, it doesn't, there's nothing there. Could you, uh, you think you uh... just talk, tell me what you want. Either but he way. was also in those gowns, those hospital gowns. So I don't think anybody's helping him. Um, I don't think anybody's picking him up as a hitchhiker. Maybe he just ran him off the road or maybe he flagged him down because he had the gowns on and the guy's like, oh, I should help this guy. He's probably in trouble. He's got hospital gowns on. How can I help him? And then, boom, he gets he gets that for his troubles. So Michael steals the guy's clothes like the Terminator and he kept mm-hmm. the Luma station as well like the Terminator. And then we cut to Lori's school. Mm-hmm. Girls practicing their cheer. Do you know the cheer? No. You know it? You got it? 
We're from Hadfield. Couldn't be prouder. Can't hear us now. Say a little louder. Uh, We're from Hadfield. Can't be prouder. Can't hear us now. We'll say a little louder. I got that, but I didn't get the book that the entire franchise is based around either. (laughs) God, (laughs) I could just sit on the toilet for the rest of my life, shitting, doing nothing. We have Lori's friend, Linda, ripping on Lori, carrying all her books around. She says she needs a shopping cart to push them all around. Lori is not amused. Linda says it's totally insane. All the cheers she has to learn in the morning, the games in the afternoon. She has to get her hair done. The dances at night, she'll be totally wiped out. Lori's like, I don't think you have enough to do. Linda's response? Totally. <laughs> <laughs> the girls head home. Uh, I also uh, say this all the time in my life. Totally. Totally is a, a, I use it daily, every single day. I'm saying totally to no matter what it is. If I'm agreeing, I'm saying totally. And, and, you know, I realized I go back and listen to these episodes after we do them in the car. And I realized I say the way awesome, like 150,000 awesome. times. Awesome. And I would say it, totally. Yeah, totally. So together we make totally awesome. Yeah. Put that on the on the for the, the subs for the podcast. That's our, our subtitle. Totally awesome. <laughs> the girls are chatting. Lori's bum. She's got no plans. Linda says it's Lori's own fault. She doesn't feel sorry for her. Up comes Annie. She's annoyed the girls didn't wait for her. Linda says they waited 15 minutes, but she was totally late. Mm. Lori asks why Annie's mad. Annie says Paul dragged her into the boys' locker room, exploring uncharted territory, totally charted. (laughs) Annie assures them they just talked. Paul got caught throwing eggs and soaping windows. Back in my hood, we used to use eggs and shaving cream. I never heard of this soaping windows thing. It's pretty funny. Oh, no? No, no. So where I grew up, uh, there was the night before Halloween was Mischief Night. Devil's like, Night. De- it's Devil's Night in Detroit and other places. And and soaping windows, toilet paper on trees, eggs. Those were very common common things to do not not that i did any of them oh yeah yeah hell yeah i did eggs and shaving cream but it wasn't halloween it was before it was always on halloween it was not the night before halloween we oh, it was on candy. halloween but yeah we get candy and then once we were full up on candy we eat a bunch of candy and then we would egg and shaving cream each other and the whole neighborhood and yeah good times oh wow you know i would i would uh go around and get candy you were supposed to bring the candy home so people your parents could check it because uh, and and I'm older than you, but there was an incident or something or perceived incidents. There was always that famous Tylenol bottle incident too. Um, and so what we would do is we would go around, get a whole boatload of candy, and then we'd switch up our costumes. So like I'd take a piece of yours, you take a piece of mine, and we'd go back around again. So we'd go around and we'd eat a whole, we'd eat a whole mess of candy. Then we'd switch up the costumes, we'd go back around again, and then we'd come home with that candy. Double candy. Yeah, and I was already That's nauseous clever. at that point. Yeah, yeah, I was already nauseous at that point. But. What's your favorite Halloween candy? Let us know on the socials at InMadnessPod, InMadnessPod at gmail.com. Paul got himself grounded. He can't come over. Over. poor gullible Lori doesn't get it i thought you were babysitting tonight she says the only reason she's babysitting is to have a place to and Lori goes shit <laughs> and he goes i have a place for that which is just clever on so many levels it's yeah. beautifully written it's beautifully timed the comedic structure and timing of it is just flawlessly done <clears throat> linda tells Lori, who cares because Lori forgot her books Linda always forgets her books, her chem book, her math book, her English books. Linda hates books. 
And then it kicks in the scary as hell Halloween theme. Lori's looking down the corner in the station wagon. Here comes Michael, target acquired. Lori recognizes the car immediately. She's troubled. The girls are watching the car, cruising very slowly, by the way. Mm -hmm. And they ask, is that Devon Graham? Lori goes, I don't think so. (laughs) But Linda thinks he's cute. Mm. camera cuts to the car driving by at a reasonable speed and inside the goddamn window you see him again just the shape just the silhouette it's very hard to see the face but you see michael in the car he's like leaning towards them looking at them as he's driving by stalking then he floors it and he yells hey jerk speed kills even though mike's so far away there's no way he could have possibly heard her no way and then he slams the brakes yeah i remember my first time watching this being like oh shit this is it he's gonna kill her right now in the daytime in front of everybody the car screeches to a halt i love it because it's just sitting there the brakes lights are shining the girls are staring nothing is happening and annie's like god can he take a joke and then the brake lights go out and the car drives away and i always think to myself till this day what's going on in that car what's going on in his head is he thinking is he saying something to himself is he calming himself down how is he assessing the the situation like is he just gripping the steering wheel like foaming at the fucking mouth like so i don't know because he he doesn't come across as like extremely i know i'm gonna say this about a serial killer but extremely angry he's he's actually very playful throughout the movie um and he is as the franchise goes on too so i wonder if he was just messing with him a little bit at that point i do love that when they when the car goes by quickly the music speeds like the tempo of the music speeds up for that part which is really cool yeah at the same time but i but i wonder i i wonder if he was angry that they shouted something at him. I definitely couldn't have heard the exact words. Um, or is he just because later on he, he starts toying with people and he's, and he's staging things and he's playful. And it's weird to say playful when you describe Michael Myers, but he, but he is, he's, he's having, I think he's having a good time. I think. Well, Lori gets pissed. You know, Andy, someday you're going to get us all in a lot of trouble. Mm. Linda's response totally <laughs> and he follows with her own iconic line i hate a guy with a car and no sense of humor so great linda asks annie if they're still on for tonight she says her and bob have been planning on it all week annie says all right she tells linda the parents of the kids she's babysitting leave at seven so linda can go there with her man and bang while annie is watching the kid and annie was gonna bang paul while she's babysitting these kids are crazy yeah, and the worst babysitters, too. The worst babysitters. No respect for anyone's homes at all. Yeah. just And <laughs> also, like, do all of the parents, as a parent, like, I don't, and the kids are older, so they're doing their own thing. I get it. They're in high school. But, like, all of the parents have Halloween plans. Like, Michael's parents had Halloween plans in 1963, and now they, they, they all have things to do on a Halloween night. Fuck these kids. On a Thursday, whatever it was. <laughs> well, it was Thursday when it happened with Michael. I don't know what night it actually is with Lori and them. Right. But poor oh, Gullib- it's a Tuesday. Actually, I think it's a Tuesday in 1978. 
Okay. If I remember correctly. Yeah. I think, I think it's actually a Tuesday. So that makes, yeah. Oh, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ruined now because I didn't know that book. It's 50% my fault. I should have looked it up too. But poor gullible Lori. Oh, I'm babysitting the Doyles three houses down. We could keep each other company. Poor gullible Lori. She wants to be a kid and her friends just want to fuck and drink and do drugs. Annie is not stoked about her choices for the night. Watch the kids. She's babysitting sleep or listen to uh, Linda bang or talk to Lori. The girls walk home. Linda breaks off from the pack. She goes to her house. And again, without a doubt, the most iconic shot in horror history. And again, Vertebrae's favorite daytime horror. Not even two houses down. There's bushes, hedges, and popping out almost fully, but still kind of obscured. Mm -hmm. There's Michael standing menacingly. He's close. He's very close. You see his stance, his shape. You see this white face, but you can't still really tell what it is. It's very hard to see. Yeah. And that's, if you want to see it clearer, I have a poster. You can also own a poster of it from Vertebrae 33 on his website. Yeah, that I illustrated. That was in Printed in Blood, and it's officially licensed by Compass International. So, um, but yeah, that's that's it for me. That That's probably my milking of the Alpine. Right, right there. Because it's just, it, we've been... He's been toying around a little bit here, there with the car, in and out of the car, following the boy. And now here we are. He's connected it all up and he's zoned in on Laurie and doesn't care who sees him. I mean, he went somewhere. Right. And, and you know, the famous moment, which I actually snuck into the poster when we get up to the bushes, right? Right here. Yeah. Okay. The girls are approaching him. Oh, my God. Is there a spider on my foot? <laughs> the girls are approaching him. Lori sees him and gets creeped out, but Annie misses it because she's digging through her bag. Mike walks back into the bushes, like the Homer Simpson meme where he like backs into the bushes and fades away. <laughs> Mike vanishes. Lori looks. She tells Annie to look, but look where? There's no one there. But Lori knows. It's the guy who drove by us, the one you yelled at. And he's not having it. She races over to the bushes. Lori's alarmed. And I remember my first time watching this, like, oh, my God, she's going to get killed right now. Mm -hmm. She jumps behind the bush. Hey, creep. But he's gone. For another iconic shot, Andy calls Lori over saying, he wants to talk to you. The camera cuts to another angle. And he says, he wants to take you out tonight. And as she says it, a puff of smoke, like cigarette smoke, goes wafting past her face, which is odd because no one in this shot is there except her. <laughs> and John Carpenter smoking behind the bush, <laughs> which is amazing. And I put that little bit in the poster that I did, too. There's a little bit of smoke drifting out. Awesome. Lori races over to the bush. She sees no one. He made a quick escape down the little side alley. And I feel like if you look hard enough, like you can see him in there somewhere. <laughs> Lori's like, he was standing right here. And he's like, poor Lori, scared another one away. You never go out. You must have a small fortune stash from babysitting so much. Lori's like, guys think I'm too smart. And again, in one of the most epic and ironic accidental shots in movie history, 
Lori looks over her shoulder as the girls walk away from the bush. Mm-hmm. As she looks over her shoulder, if you pause, you see your crew guy and his head is sticking out of the bush. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, not you got to get this done quick. You got to get it done quick. Not only that, the guy's peeking over the bushes and Annie tells Lori, I don't think you're too smart. I think you're wacko. Now you're seeing men behind bushes. Yeah. And there's a bunch of crew dudes behind them, visibly in the bushes. Golden. Yeah. Golden. <laughs> Annie gets home, runs off. Lori's still creeped out. She turns around and looks back at the bushes, but continues walking backwards. She turns around and, oh my God, bumps into a man, scares the shit out of her. She screams. First time I watched this movie, I was like, poor gullible me. I'm like, that's the guy. That's the <laughs> guy. He took his mask off. That's the guy. But it's a cop. He says, excuse me. She knows him. Mr. Brackett. He apologizes for startling her. You know, it's Halloween. I guess everyone's entitled to one good scare. Mm. They have a laugh. She says, nice seeing you. Walks off. She's wound up. Lori gets to her house. She hears kids trick-or-treating. She smiles. Says, well, kiddo, I thought you outgrew superstition. And goes in the Mm. house. Cut to Lori. Goes up to her room. Throws her books on her bed. Looks out the window. And God damn it. And another absolutely iconic shot. There he is, Michael, right outside her window, looking directly at her, standing between sheets being hung out to dry, bl- blowing in the wind. He's and also, the, the windows are just all open. And the, Bugs, spiders on the house. I don't see any screens. The windows are just open, like in Cabin in the Woods, with the girl either window open with no screens. And then in that episode, you get bit by a mosquito right at that moment. but Or you kill the mosquito. But just open, hanging out. Laurie's there with her, like, really small bed like i don't know how tall jamie lee curtis is but that bed is really small like it seems smaller than a twin (laughs) it seems smaller than a twin for sure that's funny he's close now we get a clear shot of him but still sheets are flapping in front of him so you still can't get a solid look at him Another one of the iconic Halloween theme songs is playing. The camera cuts back to Lori, then cuts back to the spot Michael was just in, and poof, again, like Batman, he's gone. Hmm. And my question has always, always, always been, and still is, when I watch this movie, did, did this happen? Does this actually happen? Or now is this her mind playing tricks on her, and she thinks she's seeing him? Oh, I never thought of that. I always thought it just happened. Or he just snuck out in a really good gust of wind and he was like, Fwah! Yeah, I mean, we don't see him move quickly. So, But I mean, she's staring character. at him the whole time. So yeah. like, I kind of feel like she's freaking herself out now. Maybe. I mean, that's a take on this that I never thought of. That maybe some of this is in her own head a little or, bit. Or more Sean facts. Sean facts. Maybe. <laughs> we'll, ask, we'll ask John when he's on the... When John Carpenter's yeah, on. Yeah, John, come on. Because like, I feel like nobody has asked them that, at least. <laughs> yeah, it was, was she just tripping out? Was this Lori a dream? Just, Are we going to wake up yeah. if she wakes up? Oh, no, I don't need movie. all that shit. I just, uh, a little, you know, a little tripping out, scaring yourself, I'm fine with. But I don't need yeah. a whole dream. Sequence. I mean, the boogeyman, right? That's the thing behind the boogeyman is you're going to see him places where you, you're you manifesting it with your mind. So, yeah, that. That is actually really cool. It, it kind of adds a different layer to this, that sometimes he is there and sometimes he isn't there. But he's always there. Right, right. <clears throat> Lori jumps away from her window, horrified. She slams it shut, but the phone begins ringing. Uh-oh. Lori picks it up. All she hears on the other end is crackling, chewing. Who is this? No answer. 
She slams the phone down. It rings again. Why'd you hang up on me? It's Annie. Lori says she scared her. Oh, just you wait. Hmm. Annie makes fun of Lori for thinking she's getting obscene phone calls. Annie says her mom's letting her use her car and she's picking up Lori at 630 so they can go babysit and bang their boyfriends. They and hang presumably, up. presumably, the dad is showing the house. Yeah, I guess at that moment, right? Or around it's that day. Yeah. So who did he leave the keys for? Yeah, wouldn't it be himself? Yeah. Or maybe he's got like cronies. One of my Schrode Realty cronies is going to go show the house. Right, before be this is before they had like the lockbox things, I guess. Yeah, please, lockbox. So he's not showing maybe. the house. He's not no. showing the house. He's got, he's a, he's got, 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 yeah, yeah, cronies. got an assistant or something that's showing Schrode the house. Cronies. My name is Bill. Okay. I'm a Schrode crony. Okay. That's a cool shirt. I wonder if they somebody makes the Stro- Strode Realty t-shirt. <laughs> yeah, it's got to yeah. exist. It's got to yeah. exist. Oh, like a pin or something. Yeah, somebody. Mm-hmm. Lori lays in bed. She freaked out. She tells herself to calm down. And we get a little time hop. Screen cuts. A few hours later, Lori takes herself a nap, did some schoolwork, changed it to a new fit. She's headed out the door, pumpkin in hand. Another iconic Carpenter Halloween theme is playing. Lori's lugging this big-ass pumpkin down the corner, sits her ass on the cement fence structure, and, I mean, I've just seen so many people, like, pictures of people who have, it, like, I think it still exists, the same corner in the same house. And I see a bunch of people, like, on this corner sitting on that same spot where Lori is sitting. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you can walk over there and they have the the kind of a high little wall, like the high curb to all very California and not very Illinois. Lori's watching more kids trick-or-treating. She smiles. It will be one of her last. Mm-hmm. Up pulls Annie. Lori gets in the car, and Annie whips out a nice fat joint for the two of them. My girls. Yeah. <laughs> and what's playing on in the car when they're driving? What song? Uh, well, it'll come on soon. It comes on soon. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you know what's funny? When she gets into the car, over the right side of the car, there's just a, a guy out getting like his trash cans or something. And it's just so weird because for the most part, this movie you feel like there should be so many more people there, right? The, the streets should be full of trick-or-treaters in a lot of ways. And, and I, I wonder, I wonder if that guy was just doing that at that time. It's over the right side, right? When they, when she gets back in the car, he's doing something with a trash bag or trash cans or something. So, um, because there's just not a lot of people around in the movie so i don't think they they're not closing off streets i don't know what their budget was so yeah. gorilla style yeah that guy's just there we cut to loomis he pulls into a cemetery a man gets out with him the groundskeeper he's telling loomis judith myers row 18 plot 20 you know every town has something like this happen i remember over in russellville charlie bowles about 15 years ago one night he finished dinner excused himself from the table went out to the garage and he got himself a hacksaw Then he went back into his house, kissed his wife and his two kids goodbye. And then he proceeded to, and then Loomis just cuts his ass off. Where are we? And Loomis is so angry. When he gets out of that car, he shuffles his hand around the window and just slams the door (laughs) of that car. Like, just watch it again. He just, like, bam. Maybe that groundskeeper is just bothering him the whole time. just Because he does cut him off even now when he's trying to tell the story. He's like, shut up. Yeah, he's been telling him stories all the way, and Loomis is just so angry. And 
why why would Loomis go here? Go why did he go to see if his suspicions were correct? But his suspicion was what that the grave would be disturbed, or that he would return there and leave some sign that he's been there. Really, I guess That's crazy. That's crazy because like that wouldn't even just go straight for the just go straight for the house. It's a cool element and it adds a cool element to the film later. But yeah, that the house is where it happened. You know, it's uh, maybe he's I mean, listen, his respects. Loomis he knows a, Michael. He spent and he'll tell us he spent how much time with him. Uh, so, you know, maybe he's like, maybe he'll just be asleep at the grave and I'll I'll just nab him there and it'll be right. quick and easy. And then he's like, ah, crap. It wasn't. Yeah. Crazy. Or he knew he knows how industrious he is because Michael's got a lot going on as we get along in this movie. He's busy doing things. Uh, I always wanted to know the story of Charlie Bowles. Uh, I always wondered, like, is there a movie or was it a real story or was uh-huh. it something they made up for the thing? And I'm like, another killer in a killer movie? That's cool. Right. Uh, yeah, I always wanted to know the backstory of Charlie Bowles. And that's fantastic. So that's another gnarly bit that I don't have. So we'll yeah. Just... <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't, even think, I didn't even think it was. It wasn't even a gnarly bit I was expecting. I just always just wondered, yeah. like, yeah. If yeah. you're joining us for the first time, you're going to be like, what is the what does Vertebrae do on this podcast? <laughs> the other guy's taking <laughs> no us through way. the whole movie. You He's supposed to look things up. Tons of gnarly bits. <laughs> Loomis asks where they are, and the groundskeeper's like, what? Because he wasn't even paying attention. He just wants to tell the story of Charlie Bowles. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he's like, Judith Myers, I remember her. I couldn't believe it. Such a young boy. And then he stops dead in his tracks. Why do they do it? We look down and in the ground, a big gaping hole of dirt where a gravestone used to be. It's gone. Groundskeeper's like, the goddamn kids, they'll do anything for Halloween. Is this really what they were doing in the 70s? Just robbing gravestones? The 70s are crazy, man. That thing's super heavy. Hell yeah. What are you just taking a wheelbarrow and like, <laughs> and then like, what the, what's going on in the 70s? So we presume that he parked his car where they parked the car and then he got out. He negotiated that gravestone out of the ground unto itself. That's hard enough to do. Pulled it out by himself, chucked it in the car, lifted it up, got it, I guess, into the trunk of the car. It's well the back of the station wagon, so it's got plenty of space in this back of the station wagon. So we're good. Yeah, that's all because he knew he was gonna do something with it. That's wild. Setting up the bit, like you said, he likes to have fun. He's had 15 years to plan this out. Yeah, he's sitting there driving, he's like, I know how yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah staring yeah. beyond the wall, not staring at the wall. Yeah, yeah. Uh cut to my girls, Annie and Lori. Oh, wait. Well, Loomis asked the million-dollar question. Whose grave is this? Mm-hmm. Judith Myers. Dun, dun, Loomis, dun. Loomis inhales deeply and says, he came home. <laughs> now we cut to my girls, Annie and Lori, smoking dope, on their way to go babysit. And I'm caught completely off guard by Lori smoking weed because she is the goody-goody of goody-goodies. And I could see her bugging Annie the whole time about legality issues and won't mm-hmm. our parents find out and ground us. Uh, but Lori's out there uh, going to watch these kids baked out of her mind while Annie and Linda are going to bang their boyfriend's brains out. Uh, shout out to them. <laughs> shout out to the 70s. And that was uh, the original title that they talk about of this film was supposed to be The Babysitter Murders was the original title. So um, they could have called it The Bad Babysitter Murders. 
Yeah, although Lori does a good job. Lori did do he, fine. You get a little stone, do a little babysitting. Come on. She doesn't seem particularly high when she gets there. I'll tell you what, soon. Oh, Lori passes maybe. the dube and asks uh, if Annie, if she's still, uh, well, Annie asks if Lori's still spooked from seeing the figure in the bushes. And Lori's like, I wasn't spooked. I saw standing someone standing in Mr. Riddle's backyard. It was probably Mr. Riddle. Mm. He was watching me. Mr. Riddle's 87 years old. And then boom, <laughs> that second we get a camera shot from the back seat of the girl's car. And who cuts around the corner? Michael Myers in the station wagon. The girls are being followed. And who, what song's playing? Sean? Right as we see the car. Down, 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 down. Blue Oyster Cult. Don't Fear the Reaper begins playing yeah. on the radio. Perhaps an addition to the In Madness Spotify playlist, you think? Gotta be. Gotta be. And he takes a fat rip, asks Lori, what's the pumpkin for? Like, bitch, it's Halloween. What do you think the pumpkin's for? <laughs> Lori brought it for Tommy to keep him occupied and shut his ass the hell up. And he says Lori would have a, made a fabulous Girl Scout. And he says she's going to make popcorn and watch Dr. Dementia, six straight hours of horror movies. Little Lindsay Wallace won't know what hit her. Hmm. Sounds like an awesome Halloween night to me. I'm just saying. <laughs> While Annie's saying that, Lori's hitting the joint with like two hands and like wincing her face and coughing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love how she's down to be a little rebel, but she's, she's still such a nerd while she's doing it. Oh, she did all her homework already, too. Yeah, so. just chilling. Uh, but you can see as she's trying to hit that little joint, following right behind them on their ass is Michael. Lori's <laughs> coughing. And the last thing you want to hear when you're getting baked, my dad, get rid of this. Mm. Like it even matters. You are busted. The whole car is baked. You got the windows up. And who's her dad? <laughs> the cop who scared yeah, the hell out of Lori. Yeah. Sheriff. He stopped at the store. Michael sees the cop and pulls over and parks inconspicuously. Poor Lori and Annie, doomed, trapped, not even by Michael, but by being stoned off their ass in front of Annie's cop dad. Lori's coughing her ass off. Annie's like, what's wrong with you? Stop coughing. Be natural. They pull up to the store. The burglary alarm is going off. Mm -hmm. People are standing outside. Cops are outside. They pull up to the corner. Uh, And not only that, not not till that moment does Lori then roll the window down. That weed cloud would have knocked him off his feet. (laughs) He says hi to the girls. They ask what happened. Ah, somebody broke into the hardware store. Probably kids. You blame everything on kids. Oh, they took some masks, some rope, a couple knives. Who do you think it was? Mm -hmm. Could it have been Michael? Well, it's supposed to be, right? But this is where my confusion comes in. Because this is like 14 hours after he's already had the mask. And this alarm is still going. So nothing is happening. There's no authority in this town whatsoever. Well, this robbery <laughs> happens and then in the afternoon. That means the bell, these, they're out of school already. So presumably by now, because it gets dark soon, but it gets dark earlier, it's probably you know, six thirty, almost seven o'clock, and he broke in and stole that stuff. Probably, you know, early morning hours. So the alarm's been just going off for ten to twelve hours. 
clearly no authority in this town. Yeah, nobody cares. And that's why I think Michael is also like, I got this because like nobody cares. I'm still I'm still driving around in the car that I took from the hospital with the emblem on the side (laughs) in broad daylight. When the sheriff asked the girls, who do you think it was? Annie looks at Lori and Lori looks baked out of her skull. It is very funny. She's just got this doofy ass expression on her face. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And he says it's hard growing up with a cynical father. Lori's and then Lori's stoned ass goes. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Eddie's dad yells over the alarm, aren't you going to be late? But then they turn the alarm off, so he's just shouting. And then Annie goes, and he shouts, too. Mm. He laughs to himself. He finally turned the alarm off. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, after 15 hours. Bye, girls. (laughs) Off they go. Stoned as hell. The babysit. The girls drive off. The car right in front of theirs is Loomis. He hops out, walks over to the officer, who's actually the sheriff. He introduced himself. I'm Dr. Loomis. I'm Lee Brackett. Loomis tells the sheriff he'd like to have a word with him. However, as the audience, we notice the men are not in the center of the shot. They're more to the right of the screen. There's still this big empty space on the left side of the screen. And over the sheriff's shoulder, in that space, we see a very daring Michael Myers pull up to the stoplight, a mere matter of inches away from Loomis and the sheriff. The sheriff tells him he's busy. He's got this robbery to deal with that happened 15 hours ago. Mm. Loomis is like, this is important. He's like, I need 10 minutes. Good luck. He walks away. Now it's just Loomis standing there at the corner of the screen. There's this big gap of empty space. And sure as hell, Michael turns heading right past Loomis as Loomis is looking one way and then looks the other when my other way when Michael drives past him. He's such a gentle driver, although he doesn't use his turn signal. There's no turn signal on the car when he's making that left-hand turn. But he's just casually driving and now i think now is when we first see him starting to mess with people he knew what he was doing when he made that turn right there he He could have went the other way yeah he he didn't care he didn't care cut back to the girl still in the car token up on that fat ass dude Lori's upset she's positive annie's dad the sheriff could smell them smoking dope of course he could of course he could Lori asks if Annie saw the look on his face. He always looks like that. She asks Annie about the dance. Annie's surprised. I didn't think you thought about that, Lori. Lori looks very guilty and sad. You could just ask somebody. It's not that easy. Just go up to him and say, do you want to go to the dance? Lori's too shy. Annie could do that. Lori can't. You should ask Dick Baxter. He'd go out with you. I'd rather go out with Ben Tramer. I knew it. So you do think about things like that, Lori. Hmm. They're giggling about Ben Tramer. Lori gets self-conscious and he laughs. He's cute. Continue saying Ben Tramer, laughing, but the laughs aren't to be had for long. And and do you know what happens to Ben Tramer? So is he that's Halloween too? Yes. Yeah. He, he the iconic no law enforcement in this town. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's the he's, police, he's, he's in the road. He's got the costume on. They think he's Michael. He goes to run. And the police vehicle hits a parked van, causes a fiery explosion. It instantly kills Ben Tramer. So Bye-bye, Ben Tramer. Yeah, he never gets to. And it's within, it's probably within 24 hours of this conversation. Because Halloween 2 picks up right after. Yeah. So. 
Then we see it a shot from outside. Here comes Annie's car, and right on her ass is Michael following in the station wagon. The iconic Halloween music is playing hauntingly in the background. The sun goes down. It's dark. We're in Michael's car. We're in the burbs. Annie pulls over to let out Lori. Michael's in his car, breathing heavy, breathing heavy, menacingly. Lori gets out and runs to little Tommy's house. Annie pulls in across the street. Michael pulls up, parks, turns his lights off, and gets out of the car. As we hear kids trick-or-treating in the background, which is horrifying, knowing this deranged psychopath is there, this reincarnation of pure evil, and kids are, like, right around him, just trick-or-treating. And now he's safe to be out in costume. It's not a big deal anymore. It's the perfect cover for him to walk around with that mask on. Um yeah, it's crazy. He's tailing them so close too, Sean. Like he's on them. Like I'm shocked. And maybe we could explain this that Lori's really high. And so she's not paying- <laughs> clearly, yeah. But she's not paying attention to this thing that was spooking her before, and this guy that she saw at school and the station wagon and all of that. Uh, maybe she's not connecting it because of that. This one's for Lori. He gets out of the car. He walks over to the house Andy's at. Kids trick-or-treaters pass right by Michael. He even briefly watches them before quickly drawing his attention back to the house Annie is babysitting at. Even at this point, we are right next to Michael. He's standing half in the light, half in the shadow, but you still cannot get a good look at his face. Only the side of his body, the back half of his ear, his neck. He's standing in the middle of the street uh, like a nut. He's just watching Annie. Annie has no idea. She knocks on the door. The parents of the kid come out. They greet her. They head to their car to leave, and I love this. Michael slowly puts his hand on the tree and moves from one side to the other to hide mm-hmm. behind it to not be seen by any way, uh, seen by anybody. He has a perfect view watching Annie and the parents leave. He stands there, the shape breathing heavily, and he enters the house and shuts the door. Mm-hmm. Cut to Michael's beat up ass house. Another iconic Carpenter theme is playing. Sheriff pulls up to Michael's house. Him and Loomis get out. Head into the house. Loomis asks if anybody lives there. Sheriff tells him not since 1963 when it happened. Every kid mm. in Haddonfield thinks this place is haunted. Loomis says they may be right. They head inside. They begin to head up the stairs. Loomis is such a drama. drama wait, hold on. Wait, wait. So they arrive at the house and they just walk right in. So they didn't even need the key that was no. left under the mat. They just walked right in. <laughs> well, maybe... The person showed the house and well, they couldn't have because there's about, they're about to find something that imagine yeah, they just yeah. showed the house with this in it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But they just, they just walk right in. Every kid in town knows that this house is haunted. This horrific thing happened. Strode Realty's got his little sign there. I don't care. I'm going to still show this house on Halloween. Yeah. And what is the timing for this? Interesting. When did they see the house versus when we when dinner what, happened? Yeah, when we see what Michael. I'm saying. Did. Do you think that they just they just showed the house with it there? Anyway, they head inside. They begin to head up the stairs, but the sheriff stops Loomis and shines his flashlight into another room. What's that? A dog, still mm. warm. He got hungry. Oh, so, so now we're to assume that Michael Myers eats dogs. Yeah, and Loomis, uh, at times, he comes across not the most sane either. Like, what would have given him an inkling of this in this last 15 years? Did he did he 
bite some bite a doctor. Well, he probably at least. just thinks he's the devil. He probably just thinks the devil and the worst things possible. And they connect the dots in the novelization. It's really interesting when we get to the end of this podcast. Okay, we can cool. talk about that a little bit. But what do we have, Sean, on this podcast again? What do we have? No animal makes it out alive of In Madness Pod. Oh, it's just awful. <laughs> I was I was watching this with my wife. And when it got to that point, because she's an avid listener of the podcast, which always surprises me because she lives with me. So why would you want to hear me talk anymore? And she was just like, I can't believe it. Another Every another time. animal, another dog. Like, but that's what I'm saying. Do you think they just showed the house with this dead, eaten dog there? And they're like, there's the living room and here's the gutters. And this is the room where the sister was murdered. And that's a dead dog. Mm-hmm. Or was it? Is it where did he get the dog from? Was it? I don't know. Did he kill the people that saw the house and ate the dog and buried buried them somewhere else? Now there's I don't a whole know. big ass body count. Yeah, yeah. Like maybe there's a bigger body count when this is over than that, which we know there isn't. But we're just playing fantasy football here. But um, yeah, and I, I don't know, man. I don't believe for a second that he uh, ate a dog ate any part of a dog like i think that's just he's so evil he would do that oh i think i, I don't know dog. oh i think you think he did oh yeah with his hands yeah, yeah yeah this michael myers michael myers one in this first movie yes and in, in future and every movie after this no but in this oh. movie where he is the living reincarnation of evil yeah i think michael ate a dog why can he just grab some beef jerky at the counter of the hardware that's not evil the, enough he is evil the store that he the mask from that's not evil enough evil he's got to be evil yeah which uh, honestly him being that evil really lends itself to future movies and his connection that they have as you know this ultimate evil and having um be a character that's indestructible and be a character that is you know just pure unmitigated evil rather than a guy on a mission you know, he, he becomes indestructible and he becomes part of a cult and all this other stuff. So it's interesting. Yeah, I never, I don't know. There's a part of me that always thought that it was just kids messing around and it was a weird coincidence, but he was there at the house. So that's part of their trick. So they're, they're, they're robbing gravestones and leaving half eaten dead dogs in Michael Myers' house. And when did he eat the dog, though? Yeah, who knows? It had to be after the showing or before it. Who knows? Well, he was in the house. Wait, 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 wait. I'm not going to drag you down, but he's in the house. He stares at Laurie. That's in the morning before she goes to school. So presumably that's like before eight o'clock. Then she's in class before school's over. So if school's over at 2.30, 3 o'clock, somewhere between that time and that time, between 8 a.m. and like 3.30, he went to the gravesite stole the gravestone went back to that or did he kill the dog and eat it in the morning as a morning snack after she went to school got the gravestone but also made it to her school to stalk her by whatever time that was maybe when be outside the school for tommy maybe when we see her laurie dropping off the key in the beginning maybe when he's standing there maybe that's what he's doing maybe he's eating the dog before Lori drops the key off. Okay, that solves it. So he ate the so the timeline is he ate the dog. He had his nice breakfast. Yeah. Little pooch's breakfast. 
sees Laurie, when did he get the gravestone? Uh, probably after Laurie saw him in school, or maybe uh, he was coming back from getting it when Laurie saw him. Maybe that's the middle school. of the night he gets the gravestone, right? Because he left in the middle of the night. Maybe he does that in the middle of the night because before with, he gets to Haddonfield. Well, I don't know what time when the cemetery have a gate. I mean, Michael's breaking. It's a cemetery gate. It's not going to stop Michael Myers. He stole a car. Oh, yeah, he's really like, yeah. oh, I stole this car, but I don't want to break this gate down. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't want to cause a scene because he's driving properly. With his so, hands. He's a busy... For a dude who's been holed up for 15 years, he's, he's got a lot of busy. shit he wants to do. Yeah, his, um, his schedule's filled for the day. <laughs> busy Michael Myers is the scariest. The sheriff doubts that he thinks it's a skunk. A man wouldn't do that. Dramatic. Loomis, <laughs> this isn't a man. <laughs> they head up the stairs. The ama- one of the amazing Carpenter Halloween themes is playing in the background. Uh, another gnarly bit I heard in the beginning. They didn't have any music in the movie until yes. they like watched it. And they were like, we have to make this have music. Well, it was going to always have music. But what it was was that it was it was like screened for, for like the producers without the music. And then they were like, because they were going to have some type of music in there. And John was going to do it because it was in his contract to write, direct, and and score the film. So they were paying that that kingly sum of ten grand to do that. Um, but it wasn't in there when they screened it. And if you take the mu- the music out of this movie, it's a completely different film. And those broad daylight shots of just girls talking, walking down the street, and a car stopping like none of that is as scary without without this music but and i think certainly there was concern when people saw it without the music like oh what 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 did we do you know um because carpenter's not a big name again he's not a huge name at the time assault on precinct 13 as much as you might like it now wasn't a huge film it was a lot of people liked it but it wasn't this is not the thing john carpenter this is you know new john carpenter and you screen that with just a lot of talking and people walking around and without that music. Uh, yeah. Interesting. Uh, Loomis and the sheriff take the exact path. Michael did up the steps into Judas room. And Loomis tells the sheriff it happened in here. She was sitting right here. He could have seen her through this window. Loomis approaches the window and looks out as if he can revisit that night in his head. The thought of young Michael stalking his sister. Mm. He continues standing on the lawn. He could have seen inside. And then a phenomenal jump scare. We're hit with this loud ass shriek and crashing through the window comes a gutter that was hanging from the roof. Mm-hmm. Loomis jumps out of the way, scared shitless. He pulls out his gun. Sheriff looks at him like he's nuts. Loomis says, you must think I'm a sinister doctor. I do have a permit. He shows his paperwork. Seems to me you're just plain scared. And he goes, yes, I am. <laughs> and now hold on to your butts because the next minute might be the greatest bit of dialogue written in a horror movie ever. Absolutely. Loomis says, I met him 15 years ago. I was told there was nothing left, no reason, conscience, understanding, and even the most rudimentary sense of life or death, good or evil, right or wrong. And another iconic Carpenter Halloween theme kicks in. Loomis continues, I met this six-year-old child. 
with this blank, pale, emotionless face and the blackest eyes, the devil's eyes. I spent eight years trying to reach him and another seven trying to keep him locked up because I realized that what was living behind that boy's eyes was purely and simply evil. Whoa. Yeah. Even as a kid, I knew that that was the shit. Yeah, the devil's eyes. Yeah, that way. And, and he... And also, I will say that you wrote all that down to read it. And in that, he says he's six years old. So we would have solved our previous. <laughs> Whatever. Our previous question about. Laundry. We'll, yeah. We'll, yeah. We'll figure it out. So funny. <laughs> Sheriff asks, what do we do? Loomis says he's been in here once tonight. I think he'll come back. I'm going to wait for him. Sheriff wants to notify the radio. Loomis refuses. If you do, they'll see him on every street corner. They'll look for him in every house. Tell your men to keep their mouths shut and their eyes open. Sheriff says he'll check back in an hour and leaves Loomis by himself in Michael's house. This is the worst plan ever. <laughs> just let him hang out there. Just just have him hang out there. Have a doctor with a gun hang out there at the house. We're not going to do anything else about it to protect anybody. There's no other extra police on the streets. There's no anything. It's just these two guys with one guy who's telling him this, this guy is just evil and has devil's eyes and you can't stop him. But like, I don't want you to call anyone else to help at all. Crazy plan. Just a bad, but you know, crazy Dr. Loomis is, is the best doctor and we wouldn't trade him for anybody, but he, he's not one for organization. So we cut to Lori and Tommy. Lori's reading what? King Arthur? Yes, because I think they say King Arthur. Yeah. It's a little Tommy Doyle. He's bored. He's over it. He doesn't like this story anymore. She thought it was his favorite. Not anymore. He's growing up so quick. He reaches under the couch, pulls out what in a few years will be his porno stash. But for now, it's comic books. <laughs> Lori wants to know why he keeps them under the couch. My mom doesn't like me to have these comic books. What a tightly wound family. Jesus, ease up on the kid a little bit. Also, what a very poor hiding spot. Like they don't vacuum under the couch. Ever. Put them no, in there's room. dust bunnies, dead mice, dead cats. <laughs> Lori reads through the titles Laser Man, Neutron Man. And she's like, I understand why your mom doesn't let you read this stuff. Hold on a second, Lori, stoner lady, pothead. Don't don't be judgy about Laser Man and Neutron Man. That sounds pretty tame, even by today's standards. Yeah. She continues reading Tarantula Man. Tommy leans in and goes, what's the boogeyman? And the phone rings. Lori answers it. It's Annie. She got big news for Lori. Annie's in the neighbor's house on the phone talking to Lori. A door opens behind her and out comes the family dog. Mm. He's growling. He's barking. Here we go. He's Lester, and he thinks she pissed him off. Tells Lori uh, he's about to rip her apart. Lori laughs. Outside the window, we see it. Lester isn't barking at Annie. He's barking at their new guest outside. We hear this gnarly shriek tone that grabs our attention. And very, cl very close now, Michael walks up to the window, and still we cannot see his face. He's covered in a shadow. The only light that's on his face is the one coming from the kitchen window. Annie's yelling for Lindsay, the kid she's babysitting, to get Lester out of the kitchen because he's barking his ass off. In the living room, you see little Lindsay Wallace sitting there watching horror movies on TV in the dark, completely ignoring Annie. She rules. Yeah. Outside, we see Michael shift his position. 
He heads to another area of the house. Immediately, Lester heads off to find him. Annie can finally tell Lori the big news. She tells Lori she's going to be going to the dance, but Lori doesn't believe her. And in classic asshole friend fashion, Annie spilled the beans and called Ben Tramer to tell him how attracted Lori is to him. Lori's humiliated. She's begging Annie to please not do it, but the deed is done. Lori's pissed. Inside the house, we see Tommy Doyle head over to look out the window. And again, one of the most iconic shots ever across the street is the house Annie's at. It's covered in darkness. There's one little corner lit up and Tommy sees him standing there. The shape, the boogeyman, the silhouette of Michael Myers. Incredibly horrifying. I love that you can't tell if he's staring at the house that Annie's at or if he's turned around and looking directly into Tommy Doyle's eyes. Yeah, that's an amazing shot. It's along with like the exorcist, the streetlight shot. This is one of those really super iconic shots. I mean, this we said iconic 5,000 times. There's so many, many, but there's just so many things in here. They're just such beautiful shots. They just do an incredible job of, of laying it all out for us. And all of these things are things that people have tried to recreate over the years. And I would say with, you know, diminishing returns compared to what we get here and even creepier we hear kids still trick-or-treating and walking right past michael Mm -hmm. laughing playing having a good time all all the while michael is just standing there menacingly you can't even see him he's not even doing anything it's just horrifying tommy freaks the hell out he runs over to Lori. he was yelling at annie on the phone how could you do that i'm so embarrassed he's like Lori, the boogeyman's outside she stops yelling at Annie, looks outside, but Michael's gone. There's nobody there. Go watch TV. She gets back on the phone, cut over to the house. Annie's at outside, looking in the kitchen window right at her. She's still on the phone arguing with Laurie about Ben Tramer, and we hear it, the evil breathing. He arrives at the back door, Michael breathing, standing, watching. He's right in front of the kitchen window, barely hidden, right in front of Annie. He can see her, but she can't see him. It's dark outside. And still, at this point, we, the audience, can barely see him either. We're behind his back, on his side. We can still only see an ear, part of his face, and he's yelling at Lori to just go out with Ben, but then spills popcorn butter all over herself. She has to call Lori back. She starts taking off her clothes right there in the kitchen while Michael watches and screams to Lindsay that she needs a robe. Again, Lindsay completely ignoring her watching horror movies. And and she spills the popcorn butter and then just begins to completely this robe like in right there in the kitchen. Right there at the show. In somebody else's kitchen. She just completely disrobes immediately with the popcorn. Just yeah. Back outside, we see Annie in her underwear and socks in the kitchen. Michael is still standing right there watching her like Norman Bates. She puts on a button-down shirt she finds, and Michael shifts a little bit in his spot, and his clumsy bastard knocks into a hanging flower pot, knocks it off the hanger, crashes loudly on the floor. Michael skedaddles out of there so Annie doesn't see him. She looks annoyed but ignores it. Michael goes back to his original spot he was in before when Lester was barking, and oh boy, here comes Lester. Hmm. He walks right up to Michael, starts barking, snarling. Annie calls to Lindsay to stop the dog from barking. It's getting on her nerves. And then we hear him yelp. This goddamn podcast. <laughs> Annie goes, never mind. Guess he found a hot date. And then we get hit with the tone of doom. Mm. 
And all we see is Michael's lower half up in the air. We see only the bottom half of Lester, whose legs go limp as Michael is holding him. Because in, uh, in my mind, Michael picked him up and either broke his neck or strangled him to death. Yeah, I think that's safe. And Annie is trying to like clean her outfit by sprinkling like some detergent on it right by the popcorn she just made too. It's just like on the same counter on the same counter as the popcorn. Let me just sprinkle some detergent, but yeah, this podcast and dogs and animals and poor Lester moment of silence for Lester. And that my friends brings us to the conclusion of episode 19, part one of possibly the greatest horror movie ever made. John Carpenter's Halloween. I'd like to thank you for listening. Let us know what you thought, how you felt on the socials. Do you remember the first time you watched this movie? What do you remember the first time you watched this movie? I'm loving this. This is crazy so far. We have yeah. gone so long and we are uh, halfway through this movie. <laughs> I apologize. I don't know if it's my fault, your fault, a combo, this movie's fault, John Carpenter's fault, but we're definitely, we warned everyone that it would be a lot. And I, and I have to say, there's we could have talked about a million things and we didn't even talk about it. Thank you, everyone who listened to us. Um, and happy don't Halloween. Think, happy Halloween. And I if think, you're listening on In Madness Monday when this is released on around uh, Halloween. And I think I could say it, Sean, right? They, they, may, they may get a treat from us. Or a trick. Yes, a trick <laughs> or a treat from us so, on Halloween. We're yeah, not sure. So I'm, this, this episode drops the day before Halloween. So, like, yep. maybe, maybe, we do some, maybe we do something special on Halloween. Right. Or and maybe we is, don't. Oh, you'll find out. And this is the 45th anniversary of Halloween, too. So I thought you were going to say 45th episode. I was like, no, yeah. we haven't reached those numbers yet, even this though is, we probably have. We have, I think. But this yeah, is 45th the 45th anniversary. 45th anniversary of Halloween, too, um, of Halloween as well. So thank you guys for listening so much. We will see you very soon.